1: Join
2: us September 25th, 26th, and 27th for a three-day special streaming event, Strange Realities, to push the limits of your reality, featuring authors, academics, researchers, occultists, experiencers, podcasters, and practitioners. All presenting fresh cutting-edge material and research. Streaming live. Featuring presentations by Brent Rains. Editor of Alternate Perceptions magazine. Aaron Gullius. Host of the Saucer Life Podcast. David Metcalf. Writer and researcher. Alan Greenfield. Author of riffs, Secret Cipher of the Euphinox. Stephanie Quick. Writer and blogger. Red Pill Junkie, 14, Researcher and Explorer, Tim Banal, Host of Banal of America, Guy Malone, Econoclast and Troublemaker, Timothy Ritter, Host of Strange Familiars, He Dombrowski, Author and Practitioner, Greg Bishop, author, author of Project Beta, Jenny Ashford, Host of 13 O'Clock, Recluse, Host of The Farm, Jack Montgomery, Folk Magic, Joshua Cutchin Author oh. of Thieves in the Night, Reverend Michael Carter, Alien Contact Experiencer, Dr. Future, Host of Future Quick, Tony Kale, Author of Memphis Hoodoo, and Rene Collier. Cultist. Soraya did the road go? John Tenny. Ghost and Help. All three days, only twenty dollars. Tickets and info available at Strange com. Brought to you by the Conspiranormal Podcast. Conspiranormal.com. Strange Realities. Okay. Alright, welcome to Conspiranormal guys. We are doing what is, I think, going to turn out to be a powerhouse show tonight. And kind of what I wanted to do with these, I guess, two gentlemen at the moment, but uh, it will hopefully soon be three, is that we are going to have kind of like, uh, you know, I wanted to give like some some props to the older generation, and and also talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming Strange Realities conference, which both with both Brent and hopefully Alan Greenfield, if he joins us, will um, are going to be a part of but uh tim beckley is also here
3: and hey let's tim, hear it tim
2: yeah tim oh, yeah. welcome back to Conspiracy normal it's been oh. it's been a little while it's almost been two years
4: my goodness how could you do without me for that long i don't know yeah, yeah.
5: he's mr ufo you know that's, <laughs> mr. UFO.
4: That's good. Um, and also mr crefo oh well don't forget but don't I forget gonna, my uh, my heart i was gonna bring movie. him up <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's my, my horror movie uh, host uh, title, you know, and uh, okay, very, very, very proud uh, of that. Uh, oh, when did you do that? Oh, I've done five or, five or six different movies. Um, one is, uh, well, one of them actually has a, a conspiracy involved with it. I did a movie. Uh, this was many years before the shooting there in um, Connecticut. It's called, um, what is it called? Uh, Sandy Hook lingerie party massacre nothing to do with the Sandy Hook in, in Connecticut but somehow our friend down there in, in Texas in his conspiracy show uh, came up with a whopper of a conspiracy that doesn't even make any sense like a lot of his things uh, <laughs> uh, I don't and, and, and said that it said that if you go into my movie you'll find out so, some secret decoding or, or I, I don't know but I had to change the title because people were thinking that I was trying to exploit the, the you know, the, uh, wow. the, the, the incident down there. It had nothing to do with it because it was made. The movie was made many, many years before that. So uh, it is on um, Amazon Prime as I believe now it's a Jersey Shore Laundry Party um, Massacre, and it'll cost you, I think, a big ninety-nine cents to uh, watch. Because oh, for man. some, reason-
2: I don't, I don't know if I can afford that.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, usually the movies are free, and and I would have it for free. I made I I've made a big like uh, eighty-seven dollars so far. and putting it up there, but the person who uploaded it uh, for me uh, put it under uh, some like uh, adult title, and so it's separated. Uh, it's not porno. Uh, there oh, is some nudity in it. See, but you have to be of age and and pass the, some quite kind of screen qualification or 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 something, and so that blows it out of the water where people will not see it with the rest of the, the horror movies. And there's no reason that that uh, should not be up there with uh, House on Haunted Hill and the 13 Ghosts and uh, uh, all the old Vincent Price uh, movies and, and things like that.
2: So unbeknownst to you, um, you were part of some kind of Twilight language foreshadowing. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It had something to do, I sold the rights to the movie to Russia. Don't uh, think okay, well, don't think I made a fortune on it. My cut was a hundred dollars okay <laughs> somebody uh, somebody okay, somebody was watching the movie, taking the train from Russia to wherever they were going and it was the same day that the incident in the uh, Aurora theater took place in Colorado, so somehow there was a conspiracy that got built up uh, over this. Uh, be, um, I, I don't know between Alex Jones and the fellow on the train and uh, Batman. I don't know Batman <laughs> was involved in it too. So uh, the Dark Force or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, I think
2: that I think that was because like in the, the last what was it the Dark Knight? There's like yes. a part in that where he's in the like he's in his little plane or whatever, and there's like a map that says Sandy Hook. Cool.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know more about it than I do. That's right. And they're they're. They're pointing at it, and so that Sandy Hook represented my movie. And, you know, if you're gonna come up, if you're gonna come up with a conspiracy, at least come <laughs> up with one that I can follow. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it was
2: all it's all Mr. Creepo's fault, Mr. Creepo.
4: It, it, it <laughs> is, it is indeed, yeah. But we we do have a, a very nice video that was shot in um, Costa Rica that is uh, skin eating jungle vampires. And like it, 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 I always put, no matter, even if it's a horror movie, I always manage to put a tinge of the supernatural and UFOs in there. That uh, uh, movie is, starts with the crash of a UFO in a volcano in Costa Rica because the volcanoes are very active uh, there. Uh, they're still active, and it, it blows its top every few months. In fact, it was blowing its top while we were there, and people say, oh... He only used stock footage. Man, if you go to Costa Rica, you don't have to use stock footage. You take your camera out of your bag and you shoot. I, I mean, it is is it it is what it is. But this particular uh, Arenal um, uh, volcano is, is active, and it does have UFO sightings. So in the beginning of the movie, the UFO crashes inside the uh, uh, the volcano, uh, which is populated by uh, six or seven very sexy uh, the girls, uh, and I won't tell you what planet they're from because is this an adult show?
2: I mean, we're not uh, <laughs> we're we're not exactly the cleanest show in the world. Okay, but, uh, well they're,
4: they're they're from the planet uh, they're, they're Clitorians. I uh, you know I don't <laughs> okay I like that perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know, I don't you know, people say oh he's making he's making fun of UFOs no man you know I live a life I got a lot of things that I. Uh, that I do, and I like to be creative, and I like to work with a lot of different uh, people and a lot of different uh, projects, so there you go. If they don't like it, they can turn the dial. Well oh, that's right. There's no dial anymore, so, uh, you know, do what you got. Anyway, let's get let's get down to business.
2: Well, didn't it, uh, Sergio, didn't it when uh, we were, like, we were, we were in, still in the studio back in the day, and... Yeah. Over there at your place, and we we were looking and we found one of Tim's magazines, right? Didn't we oh, yeah. find one of his magazines sitting there? Yeah, yeah, your uh, or one of the catalogs. I had a I had a yeah, that's conspiracy a catalog.
4: Oh yeah, well it's the conspiracy journal. You know, we still journal, put that yeah. out. Yeah, conspiracy journal, bizarre, bizarre. Uh, we're up to issue number fifty. Uh, i I've, I've been pub, you know, I've been publishing since nineteen sixty four or sixty five. The first book I ever did. Was called Inside the Saucers, 1962. And the set, it was mime- uh well, I don't think it was mimeographed. I think it was uh, done on a ditto machine. In fact, Rick Hilberg found the copy because I couldn't find a the copy. The, st- the stencils were typed by Jerry, Jerome Clark. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, this was the beginning of what we would uh, call teenage ufology. Uh, there was a, a lot of teenagers that were interested in the subject. Uh, And we all met, uh, including Alan Greenfield, through uh, Ray Palmer's Flying Saucers from Other Worlds magazine. He had a um, column in there that you could participate for free called Flying Saucer News. And and people said, you know, I'm running, my group was the Interplanetary News Service. And and I was looking for members. I think membership was $2. And for $2, you got six uh, uh, magazines because postage in those days was like seven cents. And, and, and you got your mail delivered. You didn't have to wait three months uh, you know, for your <laughs> stuff to, uh, uh, to show up. And, and we had, we had 1,500 members. We actually had uh, as many members as uh, the Aerial Phenomenal Research Organization. Our publication was a little cruder, but uh, we, were, we were very active. And uh, I, I was known, uh, we had over 125 publications that we exchanged with all over the, uh, the world. I mean, there were uh, actually groups in, like, Brazil and in uh, uh, the Netherlands and all and Japan that put out very primitive editions of their uh, publications in English. Uh, So you got to share this information. It was kind of like the Internet uh, in those uh, days and corresponding uh, with people all over the uh, the world. And uh, uh, it was a a great thing. I kind of think I enjoyed it more in those days than uh, than now, but maybe just because I've been doing it so long.
2: Britt, you got to got started around that same time, right?
5: Actually, I got, you know, I was interested back in 66 when they had the Michigan sightings, you know, and talks, Hynek said swamp gas, got everybody excited. And, and I was looking in the sky, but I didn't actually get started collecting information and becoming what I later found out was a ufologist until about January of 67 when I was all of 14 years of age. And I soon started my own mimeograph, you know, magazine called, uh, Sauceritis, uh, like it was disease, you know. There was a. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you, I you were on. A... I'd I say you were on to something, yes. Uh...
5: <laughs> well, yeah, it was a. Uh, as I remember, it was like a psychologist that was quoted in some newspaper thing. I I was digging into the old newspapers going on microfish in the library and such, and there was a. Uh, I think it was in 47, some psychologist called it sauceritis. So I thought, hey, that'd be a good title. Yeah. So. Then I tried to upgrade it. I called it the Scientific sauceritis review and mm-hmm. you know uh, I did that for uh see i guess about sixty nine until about nineteen seventy one seventy two and and i uh exchanged publications with uh some with gray Bakker and uh also um, John Keel, who I started corresponding with in October of '69, I had uh, Lou Farris was one of my first correspondents. He used to send me newspaper clippings, and and uh, I tried to exchange my publication and clippings with him, but he was he was way ahead of me. He had uh, he could bury you under all kinds of
4: well. He uh, didn't he, did, he didn't like me. We we corresponded for a long time, but he didn't like me because I was friends with Gray Barker and uh, Jim Mosley and he didn't like either one of them and it's kind of guilt by association which i've never uh, gotten in for uh, in this uh, field uh, i you know just because i know somebody uh, uh and pal around with them it doesn't necessarily mean that i i my heart beats to the same beat that theirs does and uh, so what but he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't talk to me for years because i knew uh, Well that, a lot of people that feel of, that way about that
5: that that reminded me of when i was um I joined Sassa Scoop as a main representative. You know the old sauce oh, Scoop, yeah. Whitnor, and she was oh, a yeah. friend, Brad Stogger and and oh, they used yeah. to write books and articles together. And I, um, and so I let Luf, uh, uh, uh Carl Lorenzen, who was over the Aerol Phenomena Research Organization, I had I had joined them, and I told her, oh, you know, I'm a member of Sauce Scoop now, by the way. And then she wrote me this letter telling me, well, you, uh, you know. Uh, because of your association with them, who I don't really approve of, you can't be a field investigator, although they'd accept my
3: money.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And and then I dropped in Washington, D.C. to visit NICAP one day, and the guy told me, I told him I was with APRO, oh, you know, we don't get along. (laughs)
4: Uh, Well, you you know, I had an incident. um, uh, This is, you know, Stella Lansing. We've both written about her, the the woman Mm -hmm. from uh, New England, who had this amazing ability to go out with a a camera, eight millimeter camera and take photographs of the sky and all this weird stuff would show up uh, on it. I mean, UFOs people that people that uh, didn't belong there and just clocks and spaceships and men in black. And it's, uh, it's really a a fascinating uh, case. In fact, on our uh, YouTube uh, channel, Mr. UFO secret files, we've got the episode from, uh, I think it's, um, Boy, now uh, mystery, strange mysteries, or one of those uh, unexplained mystery uh, show. But uh, uh, anyway, now back in the uh, the early 70s, uh, Jim uh, Mosley had a uh, a series of lectures in New York around Times Square. We'd rent a, a hotel uh, room for 25 or 35 dollars a night. Can you imagine that today? You can't get one for a thousand bucks, you know. But we'd, we'd run the room. <laughs> that's and, uh,
2: that's uh, almost unimaginable, especially yeah, in New York yeah, City. Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, th- these are some pretty sleazy hotels around Times Square. <laughs> but but uh, ne- next to the porno palaces and stuff like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. I, but, uh, I remember uh, the first time I went to New York was in yeah. 94, and that was still yeah. there, Tim. It was kind of oh, like, yeah,
4: sh- yeah.
2: like a big shock for me at the time.
4: Well, there's a the show world, there's a, a famous photograph of me. There's a book called 42nd Street Studio. Uh, there's only four. Uh, most of the, the people in the uh, uh, book are strippers or porn stars. I'm one of four men in the book, and the only person with their clothes on. Which is, but it's a big, it's a big, uh, you know, like a photo a book. It must have cost a hundred dollars at the uh, at the time. And anyway, there there were these uh, little hotel rooms that you could rent, and uh, sometimes you get a crowd of 50 people. Sometimes, actually, maybe even get a, a, a hundred or more. It depended on whether uh, Long John, uh, uh, Nebel, who was the big talk show host at night, would have the guest on, uh, your speaker on the night uh, before. And um, anyway, so Stella, Stella Lansing attended one of the, uh, the lectures, and she uh, said, well, I'd, I'd like to speak, you know, And because and, and, I was like kind of Jim's right-hand uh, man. You had to go through maybe before you could get hit, uh, you know, his ear or something. And she had some wild stuff, and he didn't kind of go for it. And I said, you know... Listen, Jim, Jim, give her a chance. Uh, he wasn't too big into the paranormal UFO stuff in those days. I don't think anybody really uh, was. So anyway, she she appeared and she lectured and she gave a very good presentation. And the people were awed by it. Okay, uh, a year or so later, we're in uh, Baltimore. And there is the APRO uh, annual conference uh, taking place there. And they have announced that there are uh, public events that you can attend. But they've also announced like some... Secret private meeting that only the top echelon members of uh, April can attend, and 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 so Jim and Gray decided that they wanted to crash the private uh, session uh, to see who was making the presentation, and I went along with them, and it turned out it was Stella Lansing. So it, it, Jim had actually given her her first shot on the lecture podium, and she ended up being the Special speaker there for uh, APRO, but they uh, they escorted us out of the room. We we were escorted we were (coughs) escorted out of uh, out of rooms uh, several times. Uh, I I remember Robert Anton uh, Wilson uh, when they (laughs) were giving a lecture uh, uh, for his uh, uh, group there. They uh, they they told us we couldn't leave. uh, We had to leave, and I was with John Keel, and he had been invited. You know, so uh, you, you never you never know. Some of these groups are a little bit little bit twisted now. Me, myself, if I'm not into somebody, like, I don't believe in this, like, uh, uh, a time travel hopping where you're on Mars with uh, Obama or something like that. (laughs) uh, But, yeah, yeah, but I just, I I just won't have the guest on. I mean, I'll ignore you. You know, if I'm not interested in in, in chatting with you or it's not something that I vibe with, uh, then I just pass it by and you can go your own, you can go your own way. I mean, I have no difficulty with it. It's just something that i kind of snicker out on a on a warm night
3: yeah
2: absolutely
4: we're well, we're, what,
2: we're kind of the same way yeah i think what
5: gave
4: us how, how, how long you been doing your show eight years eight years my goodness yeah
2: go ahead go ahead brent i'm sorry
5: Oh, no, no problem. I just, I just going to say that I think that uh, Stella Lansing really got uh, recognized uh, with Dr. Berthold Schwartz, the psychiatrist, yeah, who uh, took a real serious interest and went out um, at some location with her and they, they actually saw these lights, filmed them, and there was a dark car that suddenly appeared and was like sending uh was these headlights were flashing on and off at the at the lights and he he uh, I remember Dr. Schwartz wrote that it was uh almost like it was sending moss code you know and uh so now I I went down um he gave me her address and everything and and I lived in Maine at the time and I and a friend went down there and and uh we did some sky watching with Stellar and I didn't see anything. Um at times she was uh a little too quick to call something a UFO, you know, she became like a repeater and yeah. and um she would uh we were looking at a light going across the sky by this lake where she lived in Palmer, Massachusetts, and and uh I said, Oh, I hear the I hear the plane engine, it's a plane and Stella Kind of reprimanded Brent. They don't you know
4: they can imitate a plane. <laughs> you know, but, but you know, you know something. She she may absolutely be uh, right. I I don't know if you've had uh, Bruce Cornett, uh on your show. Uh, he's been involved over the years in the uh, UFO sighting wave over Pine Bush, New York. Okay. Now, I'm familiar with had,
2: that. I'm, I'm
4: yeah, not familiar yeah. with him, but I am familiar with. Oh, that. oh yeah. well, he's see. Uh, he, and uh, Ellen Crystal was the, uh, young lady at the time. She's since, uh, deceased, uh, who would go up there. She would go up there at night with her camera and the same thing. I mean, she, t- she did a book, uh, uh, which we've taken some of the, fo- I, I knew her fairly well. We take, take some of the, uh, photographs that's in our, uh, book. In fact, UFOs, uh, and, uh, she took these photographs of UFOs, uh, uh, they were almost like ele- electrical uh, uh, beings. I mean, the uh, the photographs are kind of very strange uh, in itself. If you look at it, they almost look like they're static, which he claimed that they were, uh, you know, humanoids and all. But under the uh, powerful um, uh, wave or kind of light that they have, this is the way that they, uh, they appear. Anyway, Bruce has gone up there, and he's uh, taken many videos of what he believes are these craft uh, coming over. He calls them manta rays. Uh, and they they can camouflage themselves as um, uh, regular airplanes, and, and, but they make they make no sound. Now th- this sounds very weird and very strange, but uh, for the UFO deja vu book, I started investigating uh, what I uh, uh, cases where these objects were morphing from one shape to another. Plenty of them, several dozen cases, including uh, those in the St. Louis uh, uh, Valley there in Colorado that uh, Brian, uh, uh, oh, Chris has, uh, Chris O'Brien, yes, yeah. has, uh, has, uh, I- investigated and he provided the photographs to us very strange things going on there and, uh, all over the United States. And most people, well, mm-hmm. there's some good shows on TV now on the travel channel and all the uh, UFOs and classified and things that are starting to get the information out. I mean, it, it's kind of, uh, funny, uh, in a, in a sense that, uh, uh, we get our UFO news through the Travel uh, uh, Channel and uh, the <laughs> right, uh, History right. Channel, and and some of the some of the stuff uh, it, it, the quality the quantity and quality varies, uh, but a lot of the stuff uh, I find it even very interesting. You know, I mean, there's certain shows that I I just uh, tune into because I I think it's got some uh, valid uh, information. And
3: um, yeah. well, I don't Let's know, see I
2: I don't know if we talked about this with you, Tim, the last time we were on. It's been a while, but uh, yeah. And Brent, uh, put, feel free to jump in on this too. The the um, well, I guess we should just talk We should talk about like the what's been going on lately. To be honest, I haven't really paid much attention because there's so much other stuff in the world to pay attention to right now. Yeah. But you know, the, the a of this stuff about you know, uh, the two the stars academy and the the metal alloys and all this. Like, what are you guys' thoughts on that?
4: Hmm. Well, the metal alloy the metal alloys is nothing really new. Um, uh, in fact, one of the books we're working on is called uh, uh, Authentic Alien Artifacts." It, that's going to take a while to put together. but uh, we've got dozens of cases where uh, material has fallen from the, uh, the either fa- fallen from the sky or or found at UFO uh, landing sites. Uh, going back to the ninety 19- talk about April, going back to the sixties, there was the case in Brazil over Ubatuba. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but uh, something exploded over the beach in Ubatuba, and they had this uh, material that they get, uh, gathered that kind of looked like slag, but it, it was uh, made up of uh, a form of magnesium or percentage of magnesium that was not used in anything on the planet at the uh, the, uh, the time. Uh, you've got other uh, cases. Well. We have uh, for example, a gentleman who had an alien glove. now you ask me well what is an alien glove well uh he uh, this uh, fellow is a um, uh, running through the desert he, you know he was a marathon runner, i guess uh, you call it and he's running through the California desert and he comes across this um, aircraft of some kind, but he's been in the, uh, his name is john peel in fact uh, it's um uh, a couple of interviews with him is on our k c o r uh, website um that's where we archive the the shows uh, and uh, he found this uh, th- this aircraft and in the wreckage was two gloves that looked like something that a um, high altitude pilot would uh, wear but he did, it, it was still it was very small very tight and it says inside the glove and I held the glove in my hand it says large well, this is not, uh, who would wear this? I mean, like, there's no pilot in the uh, in the United States that would wear a glove this size. Uh, you could fit it on the top of a dollar bill. In fact, there's a photograph in the in the book uh, of it. So he took one of the gloves and put it hid it in a in, in a cave nearby, figuring that he would go back uh, uh, for it. And he brought the other uh, glove back to Florida, took it home with him. And uh, it tried to get the uh, local interest. He sent it out for exam- uh, to be examined by NASA and all. And they didn't express too much uh, interest in it. They didn't know what it was, but they didn't seem to be uh, wanting to get involved in it. He was supposed to show it on a public display at the opening and Close Encounters. But the theater manager squashed that at the last uh, um, moment. Now, the glove was real. Uh, he doesn't have it anymore because when he got, his, uh, got a divorce, his wife threw it out. So there you go. (laughs) uh, The uh, most important evidence. But, you know, I offered the the incident and all to Stanton Friedman and all to investigate it because they have the connections and nobody was interested. Here's a physical physical object that was found under very unusual circumstances. But since it's too strange and too uh, odd, we won't believe it. And since it comes from Tim Beckley, it must be even more uh, suspicious. And, and and so it was something that was never you know in, in, investigated. But there are UFO artifacts all over the the place. It's not uh, something that's uh, as rare as people might uh, uh, think. Uh, people have shoe boxes of these things, but you can't really get them a- uh, analyzed. And if you get them analyzed, you often come up with different um, uh, analysis. Well, Brent, you must know the story of uh, Joe Symington, the the fellow there in uh, Wisconsin who got the pancake.
5: Yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that that, uh, yeah. that was odd. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. And, that and uh,
5: that he, he valet yeah. had it analyzed. I remember one of his books. He dealt a lot with like the case you were talking about with the magnesium yeah. and other cases. And yeah, he he always brings up the uh, Joe Symington uh,
4: pancake caper. Well, you you know what you know what happened to Joe Joe Symington's pancake? It 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 it, it turned up. At a public display in the cafeteria at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Did it really? Yeah, they had oh. a little, UFO, they had a little <laughs> UFO exhibit. I guess that's one of the things that they had. That they could I, knew, physical, I knew it was tested. Evidence. I knew yeah. it was tested oh, it was somewhere. Tested. It, it yeah. was tested by Nightcap, and it, it, they're, they're testing. It was incomprehensible. I don't know what the hell they, they tested it for, but. It didn't make any sense. I think April got a hold of a part of it and they didn't do too much with it, uh, uh, either because it was too, it, it was a freakathon uh, to them, you know? Uh, and then you got, uh, in, in fact, we could ask, uh, uh, Alan Greenfield about this, but he's not here was, uh, the, the case of John Reeves down in Florida. Well, you wrote about that, Brent, I think for one of our books, right? Remember he went into the bushes mm-hmm. and, and, and they gave him some kind of scroll.
5: Yeah, that, uh, He'd seen that humanoid being. There was a. He thought it was kind of robot there, and, robot, and uh, yeah, yeah. Huh? And there was a flash, and he thought his picture had been taken, <laughs> and uh, and then the the being uh, jumped up into a, a ladder. I think went aboard a craft, took off. You know, the regular disc. In fact, he he made this huge uh, in behind his house there in Brooksville, yeah. Florida, uh, a replica of the flying saucer. By the time I got there in '73, it was it had been hit by a. Uh, a hurricane, but you know oh it was, <laughs> but it was uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of work, and uh um yeah, he uh told about going to different planets later um but uh yeah, um that uh they had had this weird writing on this two sheets of paper, and it was given to the air force, and then when he got it back, he claimed it wasn't the same one that he had given them, yeah. yeah. And, uh, they, they,
4: they, they must have just pulled out some uh, other alien scroll they had in the drawer and mixed it up by accident. Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and they, right, then they right. they, said they just have about, this
4: laying around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, and you get it out this, at the bottom. Get it out at the bottom file cabinet. You'll find a whole series of scrolls. <laughs> oh, yeah.
5: They had this. Uh, uh, translation for it, something about... Uh, Mars should come
4: home or something, wasn't it? Yeah,
5: planet Mars, please come back or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's what they well, said. How about, but, well, how about
4: the case up in, in Newark, uh, 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 New York, New York, uh, New York, New York, not New York, New Jersey, New York, New York, where the guy had an a, a experience where a UFO had landed, and they requested that he leave two bags of fertilizer, I guess that's like physical evidence going in the opposite direction. Well, this mm-hmm. fellow, I think his name was Gary Wilcox, if I remember correctly. But uh, he had an experience where they came down in his uh, uh, farm and uh, he talked to them uh, for a, a while. And uh, then they said that they uh, would like to have a couple of bags of fertilizer. So he left it out there. And I guess they're pretty heavy with about 50 pounds of peas. Probably he left the two bags out there and they were gone. And, then I'm John, shitting, and I'm not shitting you. This is true. I swear. It's, it's all. <laughs> well,
5: right. you know, uh, Keel wrote about people uh, claiming that the uh, contactees were told yep. to bring certain things. Uh, right.
2: Offerings.
5: Uh, offerings or whatever. Uh, and uh, for a while, he was chasing down the space grass. You know, the aluminum yeah. strips, kind of like the. Yep.
4: Um, oh, I, I got some in my drawer here somewhere that he gave me one time. I, I don't know where it is offhand, but. Yeah, he gave me a packet of it. But I think some of this stuff was thrown out by uh, 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 Air Force military planes and stuff to uh, to test to see if it would foul up radar.
5: Yeah, it was very hard to, you know, differentiate between that. Yeah,
4: it it seems to me that one side was like a violet uh, color and one side was silver, you know. Well, we we, we had a, a case that it took me a long time to track down. When I started doing this uh, Alien Lives uh, Matter, It's Okay to Be a Gray, which should be out in about a month, I think. Um, there was a case that I remembered. In fact, I think, Brent, and I asked you about this if you remembered it, uh, of a, a fellow up in uh, New York State near Buffalo who uh, apparently was a hunter. Uh, he was out hunting. Uh, it turns out, he was, I, I remember his photograph was in the paper and that he was an uh, Afro-American which was unusual uh, kind of see it associated with UFOs. Uh, But uh, anyway, he had this experience where apparently they visited him a couple of times because once they annoy you, they're going to come back and pester the hell out of you, I guess. But anyway, at at one point he was conversing, I don't know, telepathically with his hands or whatever with the alien. And the alien wanted to know uh, what was that that he was holding in his hand. And the fellow uh, explained to him that it was a, a, a hunter's rifle. And the alien indicated that he wanted to hold it or see it or something. So the guy uh, gave the um, rifle to him, and he twisted the barrel and gave it back to him. Hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I remember seeing the photo in the paper of the hunter with the twisted barrel. And it took me it took me forever to find the uh, the case. We finally hunted it, hunted it down and got some additional uh, uh, information. Well, let
2: me well, ask you this. Let me ask you this, uh, though, about just kind of back to that question. Yeah. Like, do you think that that's that the information that's come out about, well, I mean, what are they basically saying? They're saying that the UFOs, basically they're saying, well, like, we don't know what they are, blah, blah, blah. That's basically yeah. what they're saying. But do you guys think that that's important information? Do you think that that's like a lot of people seem to have just ignored it? In, in my opinion,
4: I don't know. Ignored it. I, I don't know who, who's ignored it.
2: There wasn't too much that besides like maybe like the usual UFO crowd, there didn't seem to be too many yeah. people that were really talking about it.
4: Uh, well, I don't know if people. Well, now, now I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, it, it, the uh, uh, the information was on CNN and MSNBC and Fox uh, uh, several days in a row. I mean, uh, it it does seem that uh, whatever something new or titillating comes forward uh, that, uh, it is getting some uh, media attention. And unlike in years previous, I, I always felt that the, the journalists, you know, usually when they tell a UFO story, they always end up with a chuckle or ah, ha, ha, you know, like this mm-hmm. can't possibly be, uh, they, you know, we're dealing with idiots or something. But I, I noticed, I, I, I've always wondered whether they're taught that, uh, in like year one of journalism school or something like that. <laughs> it, it'll help your career if you poo poo UFOs or Bigfoot, because nobody could possibly believe in them. So make your audience seem like idiots. Well, I noticed that that attitude uh, uh, has changed, uh, that uh, nobody is sitting there uh, snickering uh, at the subject anymore.
5: Yeah, because in years past, you know, it was always dismissed, uh, not a threat to national security, insufficient uh, evidence to, you know, substantiate it. But we, all along, we had stories of, of military people um, and you know, on ships and aircraft and, and oh yeah, all, I mean this, oh, this my really God, was yes, nothing new i mean it's and all of a sudden boom you know uh, yeah. there's there 's a whole different take on it
4: yeah well i I guess the release of those uh, videos uh, kind of helped uh a lot and uh the fact that uh, they were uh, released uh, and uh, acknowledged by the uh Pentagon and the d o d and so forth,
5: yeah, there were a lot of reports for years of of um Pilots, military pilots claiming that they had video that was that they took of oh yeah, objects. oh, oh my goodness yeah. and then later of course, they would say that you know that uh, it was taken from them mm-hmm. and uh, never surfaced again
4: oh but, uh, I mean N- NICAP, I mean major Kehoe's group he he made a a cottage industry off of uh, 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 pilots uh, I mean who had seen uh, UFOs. Uh, some of them commercial pilots some of them military pilots and then you've got reports uh, going back to uh you know world uh, the korean war world war 1 world war 2 Foo fighters all kinds of strange orbs and crafts and uh things that had followed our uh, aircraft and perhaps even we we might have even had some confrontations uh with them and they might have had some confrontations with uh, us uh, my uh, my book there, The uh, Alien Lives Matter, uh, kind of uh, points a, a finger uh, at the fact that maybe we wouldn't uh, shouldn't be so uh, hostile uh, towards them, or perhaps it's even too late. I mean, back in the, of course, you had the case of Captain Mantel, uh, where he went up and closed in on the object, and he got blown out of the sky. I don't know whether it was because he ran out of oxygen. That was the official uh, Air Force uh, mm-hmm. story storyline on that. And, and then I always like the... Um, the case of the uh, scoutmaster uh, back in the Everglades. That would have been around 1953. And uh, he was driving along at night, I guess, in the Everglades, pretty desolate area. And he had a couple of Boy Scouts in them. And they saw this uh, object or this glow in the palmetto bushes, woods, trees, whatever they are, uh, off to the side of the road. And he decided to get out to investigate. He thought maybe it was a. Uh, small plane that had gone down so he told the uh, the boy scouts to wait in the car and that he would uh, be back well he went into the thicket with his machete bad move on his part so he he gets to where this glow is and it turns out it's some sort of landed object and he makes a hostile move towards it with his machete and uh, basically they shot back at him with some kind of ray and blew him like uh, you know five feet away and he was unconscious for a while and he finally made it back to the road. And by that time, I think the, uh, the Boy Scouts had gotten worried and they had gone for help and the sheriff showed up and his hat was all burnt, and his hair was singed and uh, his glove was like um, uh, burnt to a crisp or something like that. That's what, you know, so don't go into the thicket with a machete because you might come out with your face missing.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't, don't bring a machete to a spaceship fight, right? There you
4: go. Yeah. Well, there's another case up at Fal- Falcon Lake up there in uh, Canada, uh, that uh, yeah. I think it was the 50th uh, anniversary. In fact, the Canadian government made a commemorative uh, coin. I said, "Geez, I'd like to get a hold of one of those." They're so twenty dollars. Uh, that uh, Chris uh, uh, said, "No, man, they're they're going for five hundred dollars now if you can find one." Yeah. That, Whoa. Uh, yeah, but the, the guy had the same thing. He approached the object, and they ended up zapping him. And uh, there's a um, a well-known photo, of course. He's in the hospital with his shirt removed, and he's got a pattern on his chest, you know, where they, they blew yeah. holes. Yeah,
5: kind of yeah. like a checkerboard thing. I think it was yeah. they thought it was exhaust from, a, you know, he thought he heard yeah, voices. Yeah. Inside and well, he, he heard,
4: heard voices. Yeah, yeah. He heard voices, and he got a little closer. And I guess they thought he was, men, uh, was menacing, and they menaced him back.
5: But, yeah, he even went to the Mayo Clinic uh, to seek help. That's and correct.
4: Yeah, yeah.
5: And yeah. and I heard I heard that when he got to the mail clinic, they said that they had had someone else from, I think California, that had been yeah. uh, been to him with a similar complaint.
4: Well, there, there have been there have been various uh, people that have been. Um, uh, we have a book. Uh, I, I hate to keep mentioning the titles, but a uh, UFO uh, hus, uh, hostilities. It's called uh, the evil intent of aliens. You can find all this on Amazon, uh, and and there's a whole section in there about people who have had. Uh, personal encounters and uh had some hideous things happen to him radiation burns of course you had the Cash Landrum uh, case where the uh, uh th- these helicopters uh, seemed to be uh, uh acting as a security for the uh, the diamond shaped ufo and the, yeah, uh, the that's that's one
2: of my, that's one of my favorite cases
4: yeah yeah that's a, and then they left a marking on the road but then when they went back to find a marking it had been covered over by a uh, new um, uh, new pavement i think yeah yeah,
5: yeah. Three witnesses: the the mother, her mother, yeah. and 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 uh, the young mother's son.
4: Yeah, yeah. He's still around. I, in fact, I heard him on a, a podcast like a couple of years ago. I mean, he, you know, he's uh, he's he's still telling the same story. You know,
5: it's, well, one of the most active areas, you know, like down in Brazil. Um, I know yeah. Bob Pratt uh, wrote. Oh yeah. Uh, UFO danger zone about the uh his investigations of of cases down there he he made 14 trips altogether, and i managed to interview him after his 14th trip and kind of get an overview he said there's uh of course the majority of the sightings he said people just see a craft or a light anomalous in nature beings there's no hostility but then there's some cases where um it seems like you have more in brazil he said than any other place and he'd been to a number of places he had uh, been a UFO reporter for the National Enquirer. yeah. And and he, uh, but the the one that he and, and Jacques Vallée also went down to investigate uh, was the uh, mouth of the Amazon, this the small island, the Calaris And yeah, yeah.
4: they Chupa, had like Chupa Chupa. Chupa yeah, the Chupa Chupa, 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 Chupa
5: is what the natives called. They had a blood yeah. sucking thingamajig. But what happened was yeah. there were about three dozen different people, two of who two of whom died. They had one doctor on the island, a lady. She's still there. Yeah, she's still
4: there. Oh, I've she's interviewed her. Yeah. Oh wow. How long did you interview? A long ago? Did you interview? Oh, her? I don't. I think three years ago or something like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Still
2: on the island. Yeah. She's that was, yeah. that was that was a pretty amazing case.
4: Yeah. Case. They, sent down, they sent something down, and they were sucking the blood out of their out of their necks.
5: Well, they had like the, I think on their chest they would have these these places, and there'd be like blood spots and and mm-hmm. and and the the beam would hit him in the chest area
4: yeah yeah Well, and the neck uh, the neck i think usually but maybe the chest too and the beams would come right through the uh, the uh, the houses where they you know wherever they were living and yeah. uh, they they got to the point where so they they were like a lot of people were gathered in, in groups and they'd try to beat them off with uh, uh, fireworks and guns and um, uh, uh, beating pots and pans and stuff mm-hmm. like that and it didn't seem to really uh, uh work and you did have a couple of cases where there might have been some uh, deaths caused by these things, but I don't know whether that's necessarily proven or not. But uh, this is the one case where there was so much evidence that the Brazilian government actually set set down set up a organized a project, and they set up a uh, an encampment on the on the beach and took all these photographs and things, uh, which are published in our uh, uh, book by Scott Corrales, We we did on the subject uh, yeah. and. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, also the main investigator ended up committing suicide.
2: Yes. Yeah, he was a military yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. He, I think he was a captain in the Brazilian yeah. military.
5: Yeah, yeah, your gang or something. But there were uh, all those incidents were involving UFOs, except for one, where the woman said it was like a guy that she could see just from uh, you know his head and part of his his yeah. upper part of his body. Uh, outside a window, I think, and and shooting this had like a like a little gun or something, and it shot these ray this light at at her, and they all said it was like a white light that uh, when it hit it it burned like a uh, cigarette burn, and then it would kind of retract. They described how it would retract back to the source, and uh, in that case, she saw a, um, um, and I know that Bob Pratt interviewed this woman. Uh, kind of like a um, had like a, a visor on or something,
4: and um, yeah, we we had a lot of Bob Pratt's material in the book because I'm uh, friends with his uh, American publisher. The, the book is uh, UFO Danger Zone. It's uh, it's still in print. I don't think uh, too many people know about it, and uh, there's a lot of material from it on the internet that you can uh, you can gobble up. But uh, he was a very good in, uh, investigator. You know, I worked for the uh, the Inquirer. I was one of their uh, a top uh, freelance um, uh, stringers. And there was always mm-hmm. this uh, a concept or idea that you made stuff up and they'd publish it. Not true. Not true at all. In fact, if I did an interview with somebody, they wanted documentation. I had to provide them with uh, uh, audio uh, tapes. I had to uh, prov- uh, in some cases provide them with signed uh, uh, statements by the individuals that I uh, that I uh, spoke uh, with. Uh, so uh, they they claim well Genevieve Pope, the um uh, the publisher was involved with the CIA or something like that I, I you know but I I don't I don't see that as being a great uh, the conspiracy He was a publisher and he was out to make a buck and he had uh, Elvis in the coffin and when he didn't have office uh, Elvis in the coffin he would have had an alien in the coffin but uh, you know and uh, that's that's the fact I mean uh, he he had he put his money where his mouth was and uh, he would pay you really good for uh, for uh, Story. I mean, uh, a couple of times I got checks for $1,500, $2,000 for a story. I happened to get um, there was an incident out in Stockton, California, where a um, military helicopter was followed by a UFO. Uh, it's a long forgotten case. In fact, I can't remember the details of it. But just for some reason, I happened to call the the tower where this took place. and The guy said, oh, the helicopter pilot, he's coming in here now so we got we got this interview with them, and they ran in the paper, and they sent us a big check for it and i can't sure. even remember the details can't even remember the details of it it, it should be a, a well known case, but it never really just uh got on the uh, on the map you know i don't know sometimes sometimes that happens you know some of the better cases just kind of dissolve into nothingness, and some stuff that uh, really doesn't deserve to get that much attention gets that attention
2: right. Right, and you kind of know that those cases that didn't get a lot of attention, that a lot of them might be more, that might be more real than the cases that did.
4: That's true. Yeah,
5: I know there well, was a there was another guy with the Inquirer I interviewed besides Bob Pratt. He uh he wrote a book about a lot of the stories he he investigated. And he investigated like a Poltergeist case and down in uh, Brazil and
4: Paul Paul uh, Paul Banner
5: Paul. Yeah. Yeah, that, it was something about a uh the the book was entitled something like the Death Chair or something. There
4: was some story <laughs> oh, investigation. Well, now, well, now, well, here here's the inter- – maybe this is the same thing. This is kind of strange. I'm writing for this uh, alien um, uh, lives matter book. A chapter on <clears throat> Bigfoot encrypteds who have been attacked by uh, attacked by humans, okay? And there was a case, uh, the uh, the, uh, witness's name was Walter, um, Walter something, uh, uh, Bosley or something like that. It it took place in Wisconsin. Uh, This gentleman, he was an elderly farmer, is driving his truck uh, back home uh, rather late at night, and there's this mist on the the road, but he could see that there's some kind of light or something going on, and he keeps driving, and lo and behold, in the middle of this mist is a globe-shaped object. That you can see through. Uh, it it kind of reminds me from the drawing that he did uh, of one of these uh, uh, Christmas uh, artifacts. You know, where you shake it in the snow, mm-hmm. um, uh, come. Uh, you know, you can you can see it. And it's got a miniature city and all in there. Anyway, uh, at the helm of this one-man uh, UFO, piloted, it, it was a a Bigfoot type creature, a big hairy slug of a guy. Uh, we would assume it's a guy uh, at the uh, at the controls, uh, looking at him, and him looking at the creature. Okay, so I tried to sell the story to the Inquirer, but they thought it was a little too far-fetched. Well, I had uh, another a paper uh, that was kind of a secondary paper, but one I liked a little bit better out of Chicago called the National Tattler. And, and the Tattler didn't pay anywhere near as much as the um, uh, Inquirer did, but it was a, a secondary source, so they always went in for Uh, stuff that was a little bit more uh, sensationalistic, which they would make a headline uh, out of it. Okay, so there was a fellow uh, down there, and I hadn't talked to him maybe in in 30 years, but uh, I always got along with him, and I sold him my stuff on a regular basis, and he was even writing a book for us that we never ended up uh, publishing, and he was fairly well-known as a crime uh, reporter. Uh, Anyway, I'm I'm telling the story about how the Inquirer Uh, rejected the piece, but I sent it over to my friend Clifford Leindecker over at the Tatler and he bought it right away. Well, I have not seen or heard from Clifford Leindecker in 30 years. Uh, The next day I'm uh, sitting in my recliner here and I have the TV on and it's uh, a program, I think on uh, the the discovery channel, one of the crime channels uh, called, I think Savage People. And it's all about, um, serial killers, John Wayne, Gacy, Charles Manson, nothing you haven't seen uh, before, really. And a friend of mine, April, calls up on the phone, so I'm sitting here and I turn the voice off, and I'm chatting with her, and at the same time, I'm kind of looking up at the TV every once in a while. And lo and behold, they are interviewing some a crime reporter or some book author, and it says down on the bottom of the screen, Clifford Leindecker. <laughs> haven't wrote about the guy the day, uh, the night before... I mean, I thought about him every once in a while because I kind of liked his uh, uh, friendship, you know. Uh, but hadn't corresponded with him, didn't know how to get in touch with him. And uh, there he pops up. They, these synchronicities are really weird in my uh, life. They just keep piling up and up and up. Uh, I'm more, in, almost more interested in the synchronicity aspect of, of this than uh, anything else. I mean, there, there's something weird going on. Now, uh, Philip yeah. K. Uh, uh, Philip I, I K,
2: agree K, with that, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah, Philip K. Dick thought that we were living in a uh, uh, simulated uh, universe or a parallel um, uh, universe. And so I started collecting uh, all this uh, material, which you can find in a book called The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities of Tim Beckley. Now, I had these things, and, and, you know, uh, they just kept going on and on and on and on. And I managed to fill 450 pages uh, with these synchronicities. And I'm not talking about just, you know, you think of somebody and they call uh, on the phone the next day. I, I wouldn't even include uh, that. But l- let, me, let me give you an example. And, and this is one that kind of blows my mind. Uh, I was invited to speak uh, in uh, Tucson and I have a, uh, a number of uh, friends out there that I've known for uh, a long time. Uh, as Charlotte Jean, she takes all my photographs whenever I'm there, and we travel around and uh, and have a little adventure you know in the paranormal uh, UFOs and uh, we went and spent in fact some time with Tom Dongo there in uh, Sedona at the Bradshaw ranch and uh, so forth. Uh, anyway I, I spent I was invited to speak to this uh, world UFO group uh, that is run by uh, Alan Benz. Uh, he was the former librarian for APRO. Uh, They actually had a librarian. Can you imagine that? And he was also involved in uh, some of the early research for, I think it was Paramount Pictures, when they were doing Close Encounters. This is before they hooked up uh, with uh, uh, J. Allen Hynek. They had been in touch with APRO, and Carl and Jim Lorenzen said, well, you know, Alan, you take care of this, send them whatever information they uh, wanted, and so forth and so on. So, uh, I, uh, Alan's group there, I gave a little lecture. I mean, just a few people, you know, show up. He rents a little uh, hotel uh, lounge there, um, timeshare, uh, for a, a weekend, you know, and uh, it was 50 people, 40 people, something like that. And, and I give my talk, and then uh, it's like, oh, I don't know, like Friday night or Saturday morning, and I want to do an interview uh, with him. I want to ask him about his career at APRO. I mean, that's certainly – uh, an unusual uh, uh, occupation to be a, a librarian in APRO, and he's been involved in this for a long, long time. So we spent about a, 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 an hour talking about the history of APRO and his involvement in the field and his work with uh, Paramount Pictures on Close Encounters, and then we say our goodbye. Okay, so I, I get in the, the um, uh, vehicle that uh, Charlie is driving, and we stop to see uh, Chris O'Brien there in Jerome, and uh, we spend the day at uh, the haunted um, bed and breakfast, and then we head down to Sedona, which is a, a little bit of a little bit of a trip, and it's, it's pretty hot and and dry, especially in the summertime. Uh, anyway, whenever we go to um, uh, Sedona, uh, we stop off at a place called the Coffee Pot. You can get uh, the best cup of coffee in the Southwest. You got a beautiful view of uh, Bell Rock and all the other uh, sightseeing places there, and it's where a lot of people just, you know, uh, hang out and go to uh, talk. Uh, some celebrities show up down there, and uh, uh, you never know what's going to happen. Anyway, so uh, we ha- we have our brunch, get a Bloody Mary, and have a. They have 103 omelets that you can uh, choose from. Uh, it, it, let me tell you i I tried once the peanut butter and cottage cheese. I don't think I'd like that. go as you go down the list of omelets by the time you get to about number sixty, they start to get really funky you know i mean like uh, uh a ham and cactus or something I mean you know it just <laughs> it, it just it just it just gets really weird okay so we we have our we have our uh, a brunch. Now, I've had some other uh, weird things happen there. This is on Vortex Road right near the uh, the uh, airport. I think there's four or five Vortexes or hotspots in, in Sedona. Okay, so we get out into the parking lot, and we go to get into Charlotte's uh, vehicle, and we notice the car next to us is pulled out. It's a catty-corder uh, parking. So we notice that the car is pulled out a little next to us, uh, Is pulled out a little bit further than it should be. So we happened to glance at it. The license plate says APRO on it. Now, first of all, nobody knew where we were going. The APRO has not existed for 25 years. I asked Alan uh, uh, Benz, I got back in touch with him, was anybody in the family interested enough that they would have a license plate that said APRO? No. The children hated the subject and never wanted to to talk about it uh, uh, again. Okay, even if somebody knew that we were going there, which is an impossibility, how would they get this parking space right next to us? The uh, the, the parking lot is, is is jammed full of, let's say, 60, 70 cars. How did they manage to get the space next to us? I, I mean, it, the, photogra- the photograph exists if you go to my uh, website or just – type it in somewhere, uh, there it is. I mean, the the car, it, it, the license plate says APRO. How did somebody know this? There's got to be some rule or rhyme or reason uh, to this. Right. Uh, recently, uh, well, I just I mentioned the Clifford Decker thing from about a week ago. Uh, I'm on my way to Atlantic City in a Greyhound bus, which I don't suggest anybody do, but uh, uh, we go down there, I usually go down there with my friend Maria D'Andrea, who is our uh, in-house uh, psychic and author of our, a lot of our occult books. Neither one of us gamble. We don't even take the twenty-five-dollar coupon that they give us uh, in the slot machine because we know we're just going to lose it in t- uh, two minutes. So you got to walk across the casino floor to get it validated. It's not worth the uh, the effort. You used to be able to turn it in for lunch, but they won't even let you do that now. And and the coupon doesn't even work. It's a, w- a waste of time. Okay, so anyway, we're on the bus and. Um, just before we get to the hotel, which is the Tropicana, uh, we pass uh, a lot of Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's. We're going down the side streets. There's a bed and breakfast uh, there in a bar. And on the top of the roof, it has metal statues. And don't ask me why. There's no rhyme or reason to this. Of the Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd and uh, John Belushi, right. seat, Seated in a chair. No reason at all. Has nothing to do. Uh, with the, the, there is a Blues Brothers Club down there, but I've never seen it open. It's on the other end of the Broadwalk. It has nothing to do with this bed and breakfast, but it's up there. And, and we, we've taken a photograph of it uh, several times. Okay, so I happened to mention to Maria, I said, you know, uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, of course, did a, a video on, on UFOs. He was a uh, supporting member of MUFON, and he has a, a great interest in, in spiritualism because his uh, grandparents uh, when they lived up in Canada and he was growing up used to have seances in the parlor room and he would watch from uh, from behind the closed doors. That's where he got the idea for ghostbusters, which I don't think most people uh, realize Oh
2: yeah, he's he's big into it.
4: Yeah. 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 In fact, his father who I've heard on coast to coast wrote a book on spiritualism, which Mm -hmm. I, uh, which I bought. And so, I mean, like you say, they're really, really interested in the subject. Okay. So, I mentioned this to Maria, and she vaguely knew about it. The uh, the bus pulls into the um, uh, parking area there at the um, uh, Tropicana. You get off the bus, and you're you're met by a greeter who gives you this silly ass coupon. Okay, so we're in the we're in the lobby. We're going over to the cash uh, window to turn in our, our coupon to get a, a card or something like that. And lo and behold, what are they playing? Uh, in the in the lobby of the hotel, <laughs> we're talking about like elevator uh, uh, music or a Pandora box or something. I mean, there's no disc jockey there. It's just something coming over the loudspeaker. They're playing the theme to Ghostbusters. Now, how in God's name is that possible? We just see the the statue of, uh, uh, of Dan Aykroyd and God, and here we land at the hotel, and as we get off, to the Buster playing Ghostbusters. Impossible, no no rhyme or reason. So now I thought I would be slick. I said, I bet you there are Ghostbusters slot machines in the house. And this is some kind of message. And if we find those slot machines and put some coins in it, we will Uh. be instant millionaires. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am afraid after uh, several dozen, if, if not 50 experiences with synchronicity, none of it ever plays out for anything that you can point your finger out. Figure out and say that I got, I really profited uh, from this, right? So we found out that they that there had been two Ghostbusters slot machines, but they had been removed from the premises. And it also turns out that they were penny slot machines. So even if we had found the slot machine and played it in one, we would have walked away with seventy nine dollars. Hardly, hardly worth the effort. So why, why, why is it, why is this? I mean, there's just something weird about these synchronicities. Yeah. Some people don't have them. People, some people think you're just absolutely bonkers, but I've got, I've got the documented proof to you, the photograph of the license, all this stuff. I mean, people have been with, uh, with me and seen this and had it, had it happen along with me. You know, I mean, you, know you, there.
2: you don't really hear the Ghostbusters theme too much coming up, coming no. over like the loudspeaker. You no. just don't. So that is no. a little
4: no. weird. No, no, it's it, 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 no, no. There's just there's no way uh, to explain it. Now, uh, Philip K. Dick thought that we were living in some a sort of computer uh, simulation, which is interesting because he never owned the computer. Uh, but he he gave a talk. This was before he was uh, really a, that much of a popular figure. You know, he wrote a lot of this stuff and then he passed away and i think he he saw a rough cut like a blade runner or something like that you know but he never uh never never really made any money off of it is his fifth wife uh is the one that i, I guess gets the uh, royalties and, is, that, uh,
2: is is that tessa
4: no it is not mm-hmm. she was the fourth wife she She's missed perfect. out on the booty now indeed uh, tessa tessa has a coffee cup and a couple of books no, no i'm afraid no I, unfortunately it it is not but uh, uh, anyway, he had he had like men in black experiences and, and weird uh, stuff. Uh, I, when I started doing research for the book and I didn't know that much about him, I decided, well, let me go to Amazon and buy a couple of, uh, of uh, books about Philip K. Dick and, and do a little research. Well, I got one of the books and I noticed there was a marker in it. Well, it wasn't a marker as such. It was a page that had not been cut perfectly so that it was sticking out from the rest of the book. There must be a printer's term for that, but I don't know what it is. It's an imperfect uh, copy. So I happened to open it to that page, and lo and behold, that page has all of his UFO experiences on it. Mm -hmm. How do they know? I'm sure there was, uh, you know, I don't know how many imperfect books there were, but probably not more than a handful, if that. Uh, how did I end up getting the one that was imperfect? Yeah. And when I opened it, there's the UFO material there. I don't so know.
2: That's that's an example of something I want to ask both of you about, whether uh, synchronicity has played a role in, in your research and has led you to information in your studies and writings, things like that. Mm. Uh,
4: mm-hmm. No, nah, I, I can't say that it uh, – nah, you know, I'd, I'd have to think about that and review some of the uh, – uh, all this stuff in the uh, in the uh, in the book. I can't say now. You, you know who wrote a book on uh, UFOs and synchronicity that plays more into this is Raymond Fowler, uh, who you know uh, was the first to bring the Betty uh, Andreessen case to the public, and uh, also the Kingman, Arizona UFO crash, and a lot of other uh, different uh, episodes. But mm-hmm. he, he wrote I a book you. on. Yeah, he wrote a book on UFO uh, synchronicities. Uh, yeah, uh, which was a lot, Yeah, yeah, which is a little bit more UFO kind of uh, oriented in the 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 sense of doing a, a research, you know, finding people's names in phone books or something, and then you find out that you're actually sitting across the street from where they are. I, yeah, you know, it, it's all it's all just weird. But I, now, um, John C. Lilly, uh, who was a, a rather famous uh, scientist. Uh, he wrote a, 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 a several uh, books. Uh, Eye of the Cyclone, I think, was where he started communicating mm-hmm. uh, with uh, dolphins while he was on um, Special K. Yeah, which I Echo would and
2: Solid State, uh, I think that's yeah, the which I that.
4: would not recommend that anybody take. <laughs> 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 I, I tried it. I tried it once, and it was like you couldn't get out of it. It was very very strange. I'm not much of a drug taker, but this was this was like being lost in a tunnel somewhere. And, not, uh, not a good experience. No, nah, no. Nah, well, I no, I can't see why anybody. You know, maybe if there was a dolphin to talk to, but I, I there right, it, right, it wasn't. Right. So I, no, I, I can't say that I got much uh, out of it. But I, I remember the the young lady I was with. We were in a pool in Miami. We uh, some firemen gave it to, to us, believe it or not. And, and it looked like everybody was doing a swan dance or something like that. You know, out of one of the old. Uh, uh, esther williams movies or something like that i it's very very, very strange but i, I don't uh, but anyway he he claimed that while he was doing this uh, uh, special uh, uh, k uh that he was communicating with the aliens and and he believed that there was a synchronicity control board that yeah uh, that people echo. are yeah yeah that people are you know somebody is up there and actually uh formulating our synchronicities now i don't know i i i i find that kind of strange where they would say oh let, let's, uh, let's spend the hours and hours and hours with tim beckley because he's going to write a, a a book on the subject <laughs> and go on a few obscure podcasts let's make sure he hears
2: ghostbusters
4: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 or or seize the apple license plate he'll get a big kick out of that uh yeah, so it, it uh, there's no real rhyme or reason uh to it so Now, I've come to the conclusion, okay, several things. There could be somebody up there controlling this, but that doesn't seem very likely. It could have been something that was put on a self-program 100,000 million years ago, and maybe every once in a while, whoever set up the program comes back to check it out. Or maybe uh, once in a while, the kids get out of school early, and they go and they fool around and mess you over. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's several uh, explanations you could have mm-hmm. uh, for this, or it's totally random. It's the universe messing with
2: you. Yeah, maybe it's, it's revealing some kind of like glitch in the fabric of the universe. How?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is something or to show do with the, the
2: quantum the, reality
4: well, or something. I, I I guess you could say. Uh, to me, that would be the closest to uh, proof that there is a god. I mean, if you want to uh, see it in a uh, a, a spiritual uh, context, but uh, just like the real god. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the things that he does or has done, if it's a he, are faulty.
2: <laughs> a- Brent, uh, what, what about you and, and uh, the role of uh, strange experiences and synchronicities in, in your research? I know, I know, we've definitely talked about some some experiences you've had that have led you down different paths, but have you found synchronicity as playing a role in, in getting you to information or in your research projects? I I
5: have from time to time. I always remember Harold Sherman, who I know Tim knows, uh, He was a a well-known writer on the subject of psychic phenomena. And he had this ESP research associates. that He founded and directed out in uh, little rock, Arkansas back, you know, in the sixties and, um, I guess early eighties and seventies. And he, um, He's no longer with us and I think he's kind of a, a forgotten figure in the in the in the paranormal field. But uh he um he always had an expression, like attracts like in the realm of mind, and he would always uh emphasize, you know, like visualizing what you want in your life and uh having a focus. So, you know, I've been obsessed with UFOs for years, so I had my, my focus a lot on, you know, finding interesting people to talk to and interact with and and cases and and uh, there were times that uh, I just felt like it must have short-circuited, you know, because uh, I, my life was taking me in an entirely different direction. And then suddenly um, I would find that instead of being, you know, in the wrong direction, unbeknownst to me that where I was going in my life, like when I, um, you know, got drafted in the military in 1972 and I went into the uh, the Navy, that I ended up uh, – at a, a base, right where uh, one of my early correspondents was, who was very heavy into uh, the UFO subject, and had a, a close-range UFO encounter, had had experiences with various entities, poltergeist outbreak, and was involved in a variety of cases. And also introduced me to Dr. Berthold Schwartz, who was a friend of John Keel, a psychiatrist, and actually Keel got him interested in the the UFO thing. He was before that interested in parapsychology. And Keel, you know, introduced him to the the fact that uh many of your UFO cases are covered up with all kinds of paranormal components. And uh so and then when I you know, in the summer of seventy five I spent just about the entire summer on the road from Maine to Florida investigating UFOs. I just got out of active duty and I've been saving up money and this is what I wanted to do, you know, what, what John Keel did, travel around the country. So Anyway, um, and that's in fact how I ended up here in Tennessee, but <laughs> but uh, I had spent a lot of time, I would go up to uh, near Akron, Ohio, uh, Cuyahoga Falls to meet a uh, a Madeline Teagle who at her home, people would gather on the weekends and many of them were contactees or psychics and they would have sky watches and meditation groups and it was a great place to go and uh, meet and interview people and um, Madeline herself was a, was a contactee. And so there were there were all these stories. And the guy that had put me onto her lived in Ohio. Um, and uh, he had sent me copies of a lot of her writings prior to, you know, mm-hmm. finding out about her going there. Well, it mm-hmm. just so happened that a few years down the road, you know, after I got married and, and I'm taking my family up to Maine and we stop in to see um, Madeline. And uh, just, you know, out of the blue. And then suddenly – uh, the guy who had sent me all this information about her, she hadn't seen him in years. He suddenly shows up just to see how she's doing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow.
5: I mean, you know, what are the odds? <laughs> um, but it was just kind of kind of neat that I finally got to uh, kind of meet him. You know, we had a nice correspondence. And he had, uh, I think he got interested in, in UFOs when he was in the army over in Germany. And he and his wife saw a UFO, and then they... Uh, returned to their home and it had followed their car and then they uh, he had all this poltergeist activity and it went on for months and then uh, right toward the, the final climax of the thing was when his wife had seen the entity standing by the bed and they moved out soon after that. But uh, yeah, there's been times and, and, uh, and some of it kind of like um, bordered on intuition of something i remember one time uh, i think this was 1968 and i was uh sitting by a window looking off toward at the house my parents house looking off toward the uh the uh the west the western horizon i i i was telling my parents i think something's going to happen and uh i waited there for I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And finally I decided I am, nothing's going to happen. I'm just, I'm just crazy, you know? And so I walked away and then soon afterwards, the telephone rings. And it's my friend, Jim Carey lives up in Augusta. And he says, Brent, this big old fireball just flew across the sky (laughs) in the West. (laughs) And uh, it was It was seen from, you know, all different states, so I guess it was, you know, meteor entering the atmosphere or something, but it was, I understand it was quite spectacular. It was in the paper the next morning, and I just had this feeling, you know. Um, Wow. And uh, so I, I don't know, and I I remember one time I was reading about psychometry, and I was visiting this family where they'd seen Bigfoot, and they lived way out in the country, uh, very isolated, the Bigfoot ghosts, and, uh, UFOs. And so I was visiting there and, uh, we were trying different psychic experiments. I'd read this thing on psychometry and, and I thought, well, I'm just going to make a prediction here. Um, we're going to go out here at 1115. We're going to face off out into this field and we're going to look off whatever direction it was. And there's going to be a UFO. And, uh, so two people went with me and, uh, we get out there and it wasn't really what I, you know, I want to see one of those uh, disc shaped objects come down and I can kick the uh, landing gear or something, you know, (laughs) but what we did see was a unusual column of light coming up from behind the trees and, you know, a beam of light, regular beams. I see somebody turns the light beam on and it was a low cloud cover and it goes right, to its destination this just slowly rose up stopped then rose a little more stopped it had kind of a fluctuation to it finally it reached up to the you know after several minutes i believe um it was seemed like a pretty good length of time it touched the clouds and then it slowly retracted back stopped and then you know retracted a little ways and um uh, and then it appeared again and then it appeared off in another direction and uh you know, I don't know what that was. Uh, maybe I may embarrass myself finding out. Oh, that's a normal meteorological event, but it was something below uh, this, you know, the, this low cloud cover. Because shortly after that, I think it started raining. But uh, people in the area had seen UFOs. Uh, whether that was, I know there's people at UFO sites that have described this kind of phenomena where this light would come down, it would stop, and then it would retract. I mean, it was like. You know, it didn't even reach the ground, it would just stop part way or something, you know. And I really hadn't considered that until observing that. And that was something I I had predicted. Um and at that time I was playing with the uh psychometry. I actually met this uh, man and woman, and uh you know, they had heard I'd been doing this psychometry and having pretty good success. Um and then uh so they uh they wanted me to try it, and I, I said, well, I started telling this woman that she had seen a UFO about two years before. It was a light. It was going along, and it dipped down, and it went up, and it proceeded on again on a horizontal course. No, I didn't ring a bell with her, and then the guy that was with us says, yes, you did. Don't you remember? It started uh, refreshing her memory, and she says, oh, oh, I forgot. That was a UFO. I guess I never did know what it was. Um Anyway, it turned out it was, she said it was like what I had, uh, described. She had just kind of forgotten it. Um, whether that was just luck or whatever, I, I don't know.
3: <laughs> right.
5: But yeah, I've been aware of, I even tried to deny it. to one of these people one time, you know, that, uh, lived out by there, this camp, you know, where they were seeing these things and he was visiting at my house and they said, you know, I don't know. He said something about, uh, this one woman said that if, uh, uh, an outrageous statement, like if you said you were Jesus Christ, she might actually believe you, Brent. And because uh, I had been so accurate with some of the readings, and uh, I said, no, I can't just do something like this. And I, I pointed my hand, a finger out, you know, across the horizon. And in the very direction I, I pointed my finger at, there was this explosion of light.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow.
5: And so we got in the car, we drove over to the where this was. And we're going up a hill and a big tree limb fell and, and uh went down through the these uh power lines. And I said, Okay, well see, uh Charlie, that's uh He says, "Wait, wait, Brent, you're missing the point. Why did it happen just as you pointed your finger, making your mm-hmm. trying to make your argument?" I says, "Well, <laughs> okay, uh, it's still a coincidence, you know." I was very resistant there, but I don't know. Uh, I heard Doctor Swartz had said one time that uh, when you got synchronicities going on in your life, um, you're doing things right. That's uh, that's a good sign. So, yeah. Tim, you know, you're yeah. doing you're doing something good there.
4: <laughs> ah, boy, oh boy. Just, uh yeah, uh <laughs> yeah. If you would it just found
2: be. that Ghostbuster slot machine, man.
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I, yeah, yeah, and if it had been a dollar slot machine or something, like
2: it's not so, all about money now.
4: <laughs> so uh, no, yeah. apparently, apparently it isn't. Uh, no, not as far as not as far as the synchronicities uh, go. But some somebody somebody somewhere or something is uh, controlling this now. If they're doing this to me, and I'm a small fish in a big pond, uh, that means they must be doing this to other, uh, well, Jacques Vallée has uh, talked about, I think, several incidences where he had uh, uh, some synchronicities that were kind of weird, once when he got into a, um,
5: hey, we're joined by Al Greenfield,
4: well, you know something, I I, I will say hello to Alan. then I think I will uh, depart, because I I have some uh, evening chores
2: got a got one question for you though uh yes. tim mm-hmm. yeah. uh from this is from oh uh a fan aaron, Gu- aaron from the saucer life podcast i asked uh, him where he podcast. would ask you today and he wanted to know who wrote the commander x material
4: ah geez everybody asked me that actually <laughs> if one goes to mr ufo's secret files on youtube and look for an interview with Joshua P. Warren, you will find the uh, answer uh, to this, uh, to to some degree. I I mean, uh, there is a real Commander X, but he did have several ghostwriters because he just was not a very good organizer of material. But I'll let you go to the podcast to find out who that person was that uh, ghostwrote some of the material.
2: Okay. okay. All right. We'll really Gotta appreciate get... that. Yeah. Thank you.
4: Yeah. Is that Alan singing in the background?
6: I'm not singing, I am
4: hello,
2: I'm right.
6: I'm Wow. Wow,
4: He's... you got a bad connection there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I
2: don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> hey
4: okay. and, and, uh, anyway um, it it was a wonderful conversation. Uh, just yes, let me get Sam, my, it was good to, yeah, was yeah, good to have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to do it again. I have no problem with that. Uh, let me just give my uh, uh, information out here. Absolutely, if you would like a, a free subscription to the Conspiracy Journal, just go to conspiracyjournal.com. Uh, Mr. UFO Secret Files uh, is on YouTube. That's our YouTube channel. Uh, and then we have Exploring the Bazaar, which is broadcast live every Thursday night at KCOR Radio. Drop me an email, mrufo8 at hotmail.com, and I'll fill your mailbox. Up with more stuff than you could possibly imagine. And hello and goodbye, Brent and Alan. Sorry I missed you, but I'm sure you'll have no problem taking over where I left off. Carry on, gentlemen. Bye-bye. Thank you, Take sir. Care, Thank
2: you so much. You're Thanks. welcome. See you my,
4: my pleasure. Bye bye. Okay.
6: I'm gonna fly yes. my brain for Waves for your sake. Yes.
3: Thank okay. you. There, there and if go.
6: I die, I I died for your sake, but I Thank was you, reborn in three days. Yeah, I'm a hell of a guy. <laughs> we
2: we appreciate you. Okay. Uh, so we're Why? back. <laughs> it was it was three
5: days of darkness, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
6: no, forty days and forty nights of rain and COVID virus lapping up from the ocean to grab that white bird, and Noah said, "Shit, I'm going to another planet." The end.
3: Uh, Alan. Yeah. the
6: Book of Alan, verse four, three through seven, complete.
2: So where do we want to? So Are where we, do we want to take this, guys? We, um, Sergio, you were talking about maybe having. Brent, talk a little bit, ask about the cipher. Yeah, Brent said he he has uh, just freshly been uh, digging into uh, Complete Secret Cipher. I was wondering uh, what his take uh, it was and if he wanted to ask you anything.
5: Yeah, I'm already up to page 40. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> no. Um, Which version do you have? Do you have the Complete Secret Cipher? Because it's yes, longer, but
5: it's pithy. I have the complete uh, secret cipher of the Ufonauts by Alan Greenfield. This is still you, right? All right. Oh, you mean the complete secret cipher of the
6: Ufonauts by that legendary ufologist, Alan Greenfield, right? Yes,
5: yes, 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 yes. That's the one.
6: Available Uh, from
5: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all those neat places. Places promotion 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 <laughs> that was not promotion that was informative well informative promotion would like That's to buy some cool. well um yeah um you know this was something that i should have read a long time ago but it's quite fascinating i just uh i knew that we were going to be uh i was going to be meeting you here on on this program and uh so i wanted to get up to date you know, i I've got your and Saucers and sorcerers an autographed copy, and I've and, uh, read your know, wow. notebook in the past and stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I need to update. So, <laughs> so you know. Yeah, because
6: that was my one and only self-published book, Saucers and Sorcerers And that wasn't really about UFOs so much as it was about ufologists. I mean, which may be the only book on that subject. Ever written, but it's you know it's a very flawed thing because uh, I was a kid. I didn't do very much in the way of proofreading, and actually the only thing that relates to the stuff that I'm doing today is uh, the guy that I hired to do the cover. The cover tells my whole philosophy of this stuff.
5: If you look at the picture, yeah, um, like a was a. let's see, like a flying saucer coming out of, like a, starts out as a flower and it uh, grows into a flying saucer with an alien at the controls. Yes, it morphs
6: according to the viewer. How do you know that it's not the opposite, a flying saucer morphing into a flower?
3: It depends on whether you look up
5: or down. Yes, it does. That's the point. So, did i passed the test i was looking up <laughs> yes you
6: did a test that uh, it sold 100 copies and i got into a fight with jerome clark when i tried to give a talk in chicago and they invited me and put me in a side room a little side room and of course People were listening to Kenneth Arnold or whoever the speaker at the time. So I had like seven people in the audience, but one of them was Jerome Clark. So I used my talk not to talk about the saucers and sorcerers, but about being put in that side room by the editors of Fate magazine, of whom he was one at the time, may still be, I don't know. And we got into it. Boy, we really, really got into it. Everything but a fist fight. I'm yeah. sure he remembers it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I felt dissed. You know, I went to Chicago, not that that's a big deal. And, you know, I was hanging out with my friends and feeling like a somebody. And uh, in those days, I was only marginally a somebody. <laughs> so, so uh, I, but I did feel very dissed. And then after it, when everyone had left, a guy walked into the room with a copy of Saucers and Saucers. I don't know whether he got it at the convention or not. And he said, can, can, will you autograph this? And uh, I said, sure. Uh, after all, it was my second autograph. The first was to my mother, her copy, <laughs> which I now have, I inherited back, unread, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and he said, Thank you very much. This book changed my life, and that made it for me. That that is, you know, that's the highest praise that one can get for that book, which sold for a
2: dollar.
5: Yeah, I was just looking at the cover. (laughs) The dollar that not too many at that price anymore.
2: Was that you, Brent? No.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: you know, that was a dollar
5: U.S. money,
6: which was worth something back then. In the
5: 70s. Yes, it was. And I know that you wrote uh, you wrote about Alistair Crowley in here, being a pioneer of the modern magical movement in that book, Saucers and Sorcerers, and the small beings he saw back in 1896 over in the Swiss Alps there, and the great mother archetype. You wrote about mentioned about Fatima in 1917, uh, or Fatima, however pronounced, well, it's Aleister Crowley, and
6: uh, the town is called Fatima, but it's named after. Uh, it was during the Moorish occupation of Spain, and it was named after Fatima in Arabic, uh, the daughter of Muhammad, upon whom be peace.
5: Peace, yeah. Whatever. And in your in your uh, in your latest book, the complete secret cipher of the Eupenots. Now. You reveal that, uh, you know, what Alistair Crowley was talking about, the his contact with, and you may have to help me with the pronunciation, Iowas, and what other. Iowas. Yeah, it was kind of like the modern MIB figure or in ufology. I remember. Well, John,
6: it
3: was
5: 1904,
6: and I don't know if it was modern but you know i mean that's over 100 years ago well over 100 years ago but uh uh it certainly was part of the way i see it it was part of that whole corpus stretching way back to the uh to the oracles of ancient times all the way up to uh contemporary uh uh things like the raw material or the seth material or or transmediumship. i think they're all part and parcel of the same thing and so did Crowley. Interestingly enough, you rarely see his cover sheet for his handwritten original. But he, at the time, he said the book was a case of a good case of automatic writing. Later, he made it into you know his sacred holy books, and his followers consider it to be their Bible or their equivalent of a Bible. I uh, I, I will go with his first impression on that.
5: And then of course it had the Iwas
6: was was a uh a being, a secret chief. Uh uh and uh that is the extent of it. I mean it's contemporary with uh, Newborough's boroughs uh Ohospi and uh what was the other one? The Urania
5: Book. Uh those were Uran- dictated in Uran the same trio. manner in the and then there was the lamb, the large-headed being that was uh, a lot of people have compared to the to the abducting grays of of today.
6: I think a lot of of the things that existed as uh, pictures or paintings or. Uh, uh weird tales type uh, stories or science early science fiction with the lurid covers on the magazines i think they uh whatever the stimulus for ufo cases and i believe all cryptid cases as well uh in fact are molding themselves according to Our pre-existing impressions. So Crowley drew what he took to be lamb, which I assume is taken from the term llama, and uh, uh, subsequently the gray cases, as we know them now, uh, came into being, or we recognize them as a subgenre of of uh, UFO abduction landing, you know contactee, whatever you want to call them, cases. They're all part and parcel of the same thing, in my opinion.
2: Uh, Alan, you were first interested in UFOs, right? Before the occult, is that right? No, it
6: coincided. It's very interesting and a bit Freudian, but uh, yeah. uh, when I was a pubescent boy, I, in 1960, the only reason I remember is because round number, that's the year that I... Uh, moved from grammar school to high school, and uh, that was the year I joined the science fiction book club, and I became an active uh, science fiction fan until it got too big for me. And uh, ufology, I uh, uh, happened to see an article about NICAP, may it rest in pieces, and joined them. Uh, uh, And uh, then I I also joined the Mystic Arts Book Society, which basically was University Books uh, Occult uh, Outlet, and uh, their occult outlet was basically anything that wasn't nailed down by copyright, they published it. So by by the time I became active in the so-called teen ufology movement, which was me and Gene Steinberg and, and, uh, uh and, uh, Tim Beckley and a few other people. So, uh, I mean, it was a handful of people around the yeah. country because the subject was not, uh, as reputable as it became subsequently over, over a period of decades. I like to think we had a little bit to do with that. Uh, anyway, so we, uh, um, we, we have this sort of a uh, little circle of people back then. And they were those people who were interested in ufology, mostly through Ray Palmer's flying saucer magazine, cause they had a free ad section mm-hmm. and we all availed ourselves of that. So we became the teen ufology movement, whatever that may be. I, I doubt that it was more than, Fifty people uh, uh, nationwide, but uh, or worldwide probably uh, at that point. But uh, we, some of us, stayed active and are still active. Dave Halpern is putting out really, really, really good material now, and uh, uh, he was, you know, part of that. Although he was the head of the uh, New Jersey Association of Aerial Phenomena, or something of the sort. And he lived in Philadelphia, which I thought was really appropriate. <laughs> and then we kind of merged our efforts with Jim Mosley and Gray Barker and the uh, Saucers and Unexplained Celestial Events Research Society Discussion and Lecture Committee, which was like a seminal group for, for uh, what I call middle ufology in, in that book.
2: Um, I didn't get a chance to ask him about this, but I did want to talk a little bit about Jim Mosley. Uh, you know he was a he was a serious researcher, but he was also a hoaxer. Like what were some of the things that he did? Like why did he like why did he do some of those hoaxes?
6: I don't think they were primarily his thing. I think they were primarily his uh, buddy Gray Barkers, and Gray had his reasons for doing that sort of thing. And I'll I'll tell you, first of all, let me qualify by saying my experience has been there's no such thing as a hoax. Uh, The reality is sufficiently malleable that if something starts out being intended as a hoax, it morphs like the flower and the saucer. It morphs into uh, something real. I'll give you a specific example, and it does involve Jim Mosley. And maybe this answers your question as well. Uh, According to Gene Steinberg, uh, who was working for Mosley at the time, I believe, and Mosley was living in New York, uh, trying to get custody of his daughter, Jim was uproariously drunk. And Gene, as far as I know, is a teetotaler, as am I. And uh, uh, Jim said, I'm going to make a hoax phone call to uh some police department in New Jersey and I'm going to say there's a flying saucer outside. And uh he 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 picked basically just stuck a pin in a map, you know, and uh, called the Wantaqu New Jersey Police Department and said there are flying saucers hovering over your reservoir and hung up. And since he was subject to kind of blackouts, I don't think he even remembered it. And now Gene is saying, Oh, I never told you that. Yes, he did. I have a flawless memory. Gene is Gene. Um, But sure enough, for those of us who know, and I'm sure you do, And for any listeners, there was a genuine uh, flap around the Waterloo, New Jersey Reservoir at the time. I didn't know about the thing with uh, with Mosley until many, many years later when Gene told me about it. And then I thought, yeah, that's one of the examples. If you. Say there's a, you know, a, a green monster outside and it's hovering outside my window and I live on the third floor, so it must have been a tall monster. There will be sightings of tall monsters and you can do one of two things. You can say, oh, it's all power of suggestion or you can say reality is malleable and people are going to see things from mm, dimensions beyond our own if they tune into them. And I think the latter is more in tune with the current uh, findings of, of uh, physics, uh, uh, especially uh, quantum physics, that uh, than the notion that everything is fixed and reality is just what we get with our five senses under ordinary circumstances. That's my theme.
5: Wow, that, uh, that reminds me of, a uh, little exercise I did back in the seventies i was I had a group of people uh back in the old snail mill uh days and I sent out this this request that on a certain time and date we all try to see if we can sky watch and, and have an experience so i was I was sending out and you know I thought maybe this is just a coincidence, but it was where someone was uh seeing a bigfoot from a flying saucer. And uh, right about that time, you know, and I, I, I was trying to send this out so this would be the target. And then um, one of my friends down in Florida reported that she was investigating a case that just happened and got in, involving a man who just encountered Bigfoot from a flying saucer, and he was terrorized. And um, I decided at that point um, – I don't know if this is coincidence or not, but maybe this isn't a good thing to mess with, you know, uh, because this guy was quite uh, – quite frightened by the experience and and if um you know and and this person who was investigating the case was actually on my mailing list so I uh I thought maybe I don't know but um I remember being at a conference in Ohio Northern Ohio in seventy six or seventy seven you were there Gene Steinberg was there and I remember as I remember he told the audience about that story that you just told. And a few years ago, I wrote you to kind of recap that because I, I remembered, I remembered, uh, I remembered as him being the one that told that story to the audience about the Wanakee, Wanakee reservoir in New Jersey. And, uh, I know a lot of ufologists got very involved in that, that, uh, that case. Um, remember communicating with August Roberts who, uh, had a picture of the reservoirs. I remember where there was like some kind of light under the the ice or something he he said well, augie was part of Mosley's you know uh, uh,
6: wh- wh- what we call them gang whatever. So you mm-hmm. know i would I would most of the witnesses were people who had nothing to do with ufology, including the local cops who had been you know, the quote victims of a hoax phone call, but nevertheless, by the time they got to the reservoir, the manifestations were there. And by the way, what you did, uh, in the way of a uh, Skywatch uh, in the late sixties, I'm not trying to top you. I mean, I, uh, this is not something I, I even recall ever mentioning anywhere, but, uh, um, in those days, you could take out a classified ad in the the Atlanta newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, for, you know, 10 cents a word or something like that. So I uh, took out an ad. Uh, I lived about two blocks from where I am right now, actually, and I took out an ad that basically said, Citywide UFO Skywatch Call this number, and it was the number of my... Uh, Uh, my house, uh, and uh, actually my parents' house, and uh, the phone rang off the hook. I mean, and some of them were not lights in the sky. Some of them were were close-up objects, and I had picked a date out of nowhere. I mean, I just, you know, was Mm -hmm. curious. So I repeated the experiment, and it happened again. And my conclusion was, if you say that they're there, they will be there. Um, or alternately they're there all the time. People just don't look, yeah. you know, but, uh, uh, the two things are, are not mutually exclusive. And, yeah. uh, from that, I began to formulate the notion that if you look for it, you'll find it. Uh, maybe you won't like what you find, but you'll find it. I, I recall your thing about, was that in the Brooksville area that, uh, 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 shaggy person <laughs> <laughs> well, brooksville i hate the had term bigfoot
5: a, well bigfoot had a lot of bigfoot or sandman or whatever you want to call them incidents uh back in the the 60s uh and, and, and 70s too in fact they had some bird man and reptile type beings around in and around that area too but uh i remember my friend ramona clark she later became ramona hebner she she moved to brooksville and uh, I, I went down there some, and I, I, I met John Reeves and, and uh, other witnesses, and it was a pretty active spot. Eula Lewis claimed she had been chased uh, into her house by a Bigfoot one time, and there was a weird staticky sound overhead, but she, she didn't have time to look to see what was causing that. But she, she had seen UFOs in the past and thought maybe that's what it, what it was. But <clears throat> that was a very active, active spot. I don't know if anything still goes yeah, on down there yeah. or not. And it um, is honeycombed
6: with sinkholes and hmm. caves. And I uh, originally went there uh, to to meet John Reeves. And I was, uh, how shall I put it? I was still a member of NICAP, <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was somewhat skeptical of a close encounter case like him. But I went with uh, the late Joan O'Connell, nay Reitner, nay something else, uh, and her husband of that time, uh, uh, Ron whatever, Ron Reitner, uh, who was a photographer or is, and uh, they had been there numerous times. And they took me around to some people that were uh, type two witnesses. And the more of that I saw, the more convinced I was that at least the initial experience that uh, John Reeves <clears throat> claimed was absolutely real. Uh, but in that experience, at, at some point, he thinks that the little robot being takes a picture of him.
3: Mm-hmm. Now,
6: those who have seen the, the men in black movies. Uh, I think anything subsequent to the flash uh, of, you know, what he took to be a flash bulb are uh, induced memories. I don't think the, the rest of it is necessarily uh, even an analog of true. I don't believe people visit the planet Venus because they would come back with a considerable suntan from what we know about mm-hmm. Venus now, as opposed to then. So he didn't have a suntan or burns or anything else. And I went back and, and uh, had uh, many, many occasions with John. I even went with my dad one time and uh, he had a sign up saying flying saucer landing area and had built a flying saucer himself mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, out of wood. Uh, wooden saucers are hard to detect on radar, I think.
3: Very but
6: <laughs> uh, my dad showed his uh, relative contempt for the whole thing. I mean, he didn't disbelieve; he just found it all amusing. He got out one of his golf clubs and, right where all those footprints were that Reeves claimed were the alien robot, uh, my father was, uh, you know, hitting a few balls and. I took a picture of that, and it's in one of Beckley's books. I think it says a great deal about how ludicrous real stuff can be, as if it were the ludicrous part of it, as was pointed out in the Joe Simonton case. It's as if the being or beings or whatever they are want it to look ridiculous so that you don't look at the details of the case so uh same for John, by the way, I have heard from locals long since that what happened to his flying saucer
5: was it got picked up by a whirlwind and disappeared. Mm. well, I know when I was there in seven, i think november seventy three uh there was uh, it was there then, but it was damaged by a hurricane. And uh, he also had some kind of a, kind of like a monument thing. I think these little miniature planets were up on these boards or something. And um, I've got a, a Super Eight millimeter. Yeah, that was what he replaced. He
6: replaced the flying saucer with these two pylons, and told me that they he was putting an ad, which he showed me in the local Brooksville newspaper, looking for a woman to be buried next to it. <laughs> now,
5: he, he wandered off, didn't he? Uh, he just or, or disappeared uh, at some point. I don't doubt it. <laughs> yeah, he was just not there. And I
6: never saw an obituary. I checked on, you know, the whirlwind story. There was no tornado. Uh, it, it, there have been tornadoes in the Brooksville area, but there was no tornado at the time. That the uh, supposed whirlwind took away the, uh, uh, I don't know whether he repaired it or whether it was as you as you describe it, but it damaged or not, it went away at warp speed and disappeared, probably torn apart by the whirlwind. Uh, it was probably, uh, I have myself seen uh, one, and, uh, how shall I put it, one unrecorded tornado. So um, there must be a lot of them that, especially before the sophisticated, uh, you know, um, satellite images and radar and so Mm -hmm. forth uh, that took place and were basically localized. No one was killed. They didn't hit a mobile home, which fall apart in those things. And uh, uh, so it's unsung, but it, it could have been, you know, less less than a tornado, but more than a, you know, a stiff wind.
0: Yeah. In any
6: case, I thought that was hilarious and ironic <laughs> and uh, quite luminous, really, because he built it out of wood. And the the reaction, of course, is, well, that's nice, John. It's well done. You're you're a good craftsman, but that thing will never fly. Well. <laughs> I was wrong. I just miscalculated
5: the means of propulsion He well, used wind power. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that story before. <laughs>
2: Those uh, well-known channelers that we know of, like the raw material, like all this other stuff, do you think any of them started out as a hoax and actually evolved into something more?
6: Well, with the raw material, no, they they were genuine from the beginning and made no pretense about what what it meant. I mean, I knew uh, Carla and uh, Don Elkins and uh, had met. The guy that's currently, right. you know, the custodian, I guess, of the LL. But
2: yeah, but even going and back to like Blavatsky, are, and and do do you think any of these people were initially hoaxing, and that in the same way that concept we were talking about, uh, like what was created through these UFO kind of workings, do you think that any of them were starting as hoaxes and evolved into actual contact?
6: Well, the cipher, which is what I was trying to get to actually yeah. validates that because, uh, for example, when Blavatsky was in Egypt and uh, before the Theosophical Society even came into being, it actually started in New York with Blavatsky present. But uh, Blavatsky and Colonel Olcott, I think, were uh, sojourning in Cairo as many cultists of that period did in you know, basically British controlled Egypt,
3: mm-hmm.
6: uh, for better or worse. Uh, and uh, uh, she started doing your standard trans channeling stuff, stick lock, I call it. And uh, her control, as they say in mediumship, was a being called Katie King, which has shown up in with other mediums yeah. as well. Whether they're copycats or whether this is a real being like Ashtar, uh, which is an ancient demon that uh, of uh, perhaps Sumerian origin. Anyway, uh, if you decipher those names, those peculiar names like Katie King, it yields really, really interesting results. And th- th- that was included in you know in the book, and I hope, that uh, people would read Secret Cipher and work with it. And when I first unveiled it, I thought that would be the response. You know, it it wouldn't take many readers, whatever. It it sold quite well for uh, the late, great Illuminate Press. Um, But I didn't hear from anyone who had worked with it. And then skip forward 20-some-odd years and... The complete secret cipher comes out, and uh, the people who uh, uh, did the Hellier series, which was a sensation in on uh, uh, as TV documentary of what real field investigations are like, as opposed to the two plumbers from New Jersey that go to see ghosts or <laughs> or ancient aliens. Uh, and the guy with the hair or whatever. <laughs> oh, they interviewed me here and gave me $25 to sit and talk to them for two hours in a rented restaurant. A- <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't have to travel for that one. In fairness, uh, they uh, when they took me uh, to Salt Lake City for reasons that I still don't know, then took me out in the desert. I mean, the whole thing, those are all theatrical and people should watch them with a, you know, a great deal of skepticism. Yes, I've looked absolutely. up close and uh, I actually asked uh, my son, who's a screenwriter. Uh, do you think I need to join uh, AFTRA, uh, the SAG or AFTRA, because clearly this is a show that I'm an actor in. They actually had a mark for me to walk to in, uh, on Liberty Island after the interview, which was billed as he's approaching us. Now he sees us at the table and comes and sits down. This was done after all that had, had happened and in, uh, uh, Salt Lake city for, I think that was for UFO hunters. They uh, took me out in the middle of the desert for no reason at all. And they staged a scene with two vans and they said, okay, drive this van up to our people and, uh, shake hands as if you were meeting them and then pass them some of the pictures that you, you have. And I said, uh, there are two problems with that. One is I don't drive. The other is I don't have a driver's license <laughs> <And> <laughs> across the street. The crew was going, rah, 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 rah. I'm not exaggerating any of this. And, uh, they said, oh, well, do you know how to start a car? I said, yeah, I know how to start it. You press the accelerator, make sure it's in park and turn the key. I can do that. I can even turn it back off. So they said, well, do that and we'll pretend that you drove up and then get out of the van and walk and they'll meet you from their van halfway between and you can give them the pieces of blank paper that were supposed to be pictures, which, by the way, didn't make it into the show at all. (laughs) I guess it was
3: not convincing. It certainly didn't convince
2: me. Alan, what were they interviewing (laughs) you about? Like, why? What were they? What specifically were they? Did they want to know?
6: You know, I don't remember. Those shows, I mean, my attitude towards those programs was look, whatever they want me to talk about, by the time it gets edited, I won't yeah. be talking about that. They took me to to another episode of UFO Hunters, they took me to Huntsville, which is, you know, a, a place they could have asked me about. The uh that was the original resting place of the Project Blue Book Files and blah blah. They put me in an outdoor interview in the middle of space camp. So they would (laughs) say, so what is the reality behind that behind the Nazi UFOs? And I'd say, well, (laughs) and these bunch of kids going between class would go and then they showed, uh, I I, I said something, well, you know, there are stories that that suggested the Nazis were experimenting with and the next thing you know, I'm flying to Germany on a Lufthansa jet. Well, I was, I've never been in Germany. (laughs) I've never been on a Lufthansa jet. There's an old joke about them. This is Lufthansa flight 41. You will enjoy your trips, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) I've been to Prague. I've been to Spain. I've been to Oklahoma, but I've never been to Germany. But they they show it like I'm on the jet going to find the dirt Glock or whatever you know. Are you I mean, tell, That's what Alan, the, the Are you trying to are. are you
2: are you trying to tell us that these programs lie, or is that what you're trying to say? No,
6: I'm trying to say they're theatrical, and to the extent <laughs> that they say they're documentary, they are uh, they are absolutely presidential. You may take that any way you want.
2: Yes. <laughs> However.
6: <laughs> The long interview, hours long that I did for um, Ancient Aliens, which, you know, uh, having age issues anyway, since I'm getting on in years, I, I thought, I don't want to be an ancient alien, <laughs> but they gave me cab fare to drive down to the town I was living in and did this interview, and somewhere I mentioned in passing the 32nd uh conversation I had with Werner von Braun. That was 30 seconds of a two hour interview. That's what they featured. The rest, cutting room four. You know, I mean, hello, I'm Alan Greenfield. I met Werner von Braun.
2: Brent, have you ever had the uh, <laughs> have you ever had the pleasure of being interviewed by Ancient Aliens? That was uh, that was an
6: episode of Ancient Aliens.
2: I, very early on.
6: I don't okay. do those programs anymore. After uh, Brad Meltzer's Decoded, uh, which doesn't decode anything, and the farce on Liberty Island where they edited, they didn't like my answer to whether the Statue of Liberty should be torn down. And I said <laughs> no. And they went from my my interview to some crazy guy who said, yeah, it's all a Masonic conspiracy. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> They obviously liked his answer, so I, at that time, I blogged on Live Journal before the Russians took over. really, They did take over. So um, I don't post anything on Live Journal anymore, except tweets from the news about how bad uh, things are in Russia,
3: <laughs> because
6: I know where it goes back to. But that's neither here nor there, uh, neither here nor in St. Petersburg, where they're listening to us even as we speak. So I, uh, I published a, a long critique, pretty much the same thing that I just said to you and the audience. And they haven't invited me back since then. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I'm, I'm really, you know, with the program. But when Hellyer came out, all of a sudden, because they were interested in reality whatever reality may be as opposed to theater and they had high production values and the only criticisms i've heard of it uh, other than uh uh, that they may have that they followed the synchronicities and it didn't lead anywhere and of course in field investigations you get what you find not what you ask for and uh, some people don't like that but the vast majority of people got it. This is the real deal. And they they interviewed me and they uh, they left it. Although well, that was a four hour interview. There's a clock that I didn't know was there behind me and you can see how many hours went by. But they kept the essence of my interview, like 20, 30 minutes. And then people got it and started to use the secret cipher. And buy copies of you know the current edition, which is the Paranoia
2: Press. Yeah, we we talked to uh, we talked to Olaf a couple of shows ago. And, yeah, he's uh, my
6: publisher, and when he said I want to bring out the complete Secret Side for the Ufonauts, I said, well, that's okay with me, but you know, it's an you know it it, it, it it's had its day. I was wrong, he was right, and he is doing fantastic things with the cipher himself i'm sure uh, there'll yeah. be a book in that it's,
2: yeah yeah he, he told, told us a, a lot about, about, it. about mm-hmm. all the cipher work and his collaboration with you and and your um, how much you were helping him with that stuff uh, i was wondering have you uh, spoken to those guys from somerset kentucky who were on the hellier the penny royal crew No, well, i mean i've
6: I've been through Kentucky on my way to the UFO conventions in Cleveland, but I spent one night in a Holiday Inn there. <laughs> that's the extent <laughs> of my knowledge of Kentucky. Okay. The grass you,
2: is yeah. sort of blue. <laughs> but, You're gonna find uh, no, that very interesting uh, when they come. They're coming out with a podcast. When, and uh, I think I think you'll you'll find that very interesting, and and they probably they probably need to reach out to you because I'm sure you've got some missing puzzle pieces for what they're looking into.
6: Oh yeah, but one of the interesting things is some of their research seemed to be based on uh, my books, but it was Crazy Terry's uh, contributions to it, not not mine. And I always thought that where Terry had run into. Um, uh injured cold, which can't be a real name, you know, it just doesn't doesn't sing. Uh I thought it was somewhere in West Virginia, but they found a location that fit exactly his description in Ashland, Kentucky. And all I know about Ashland, Kentucky is there's a there's oil wells there because there's an oil company called Ashland that you can get gasoline at, or at least you could before the lockdown, you know, so uh, I uh, my ignorance of Kentucky is great. My uh go-to person in West Virginia was Gray Barker because while it's mythical that he was born there, he lived there most of his life and was uh educated in uh, folklore and knew good folklore when he saw it and
3: was yeah.
6: uh, to me he wrote the definitive. Book on uh, the UFO aspect of the mystery um, the The Silver Bridge, which you know I had a bit to do with encouraging him to do. Mosley thought it was crap, and the reason Mosley thought it was crap was despite his reputation, Mosley was a fact freak. he liked he didn't read any fiction, he liked things that were tangible and five senses. He was an atheist and uh, materialist and but he thought there was something to mm-hmm. UFOs. He settled on the what he called the three and a half D theory, which <laughs> uh that I don't know how that's any different from uh, from saying that uh there are dimensional dimensions I've right. heard of but you know he was he was my neighbor in Key West and and a really good guy and Gray was too and i think you can say that they were pranksters some of the time because things are so serious with the engineering based nuts and bolts ufo
2: yeah did it did it did did gray barker and um mosley didn't they like used to prank call John Keel wasn't that one of their things they would like to do yeah when I saw
6: the the movie the Mothman prophecies which I thought was a you know pretty faithful rendition of uh, uh, an analog of some of the things that happened during the first Mothman uh, uh, flap uh, because there's one going on in the Midwest now and has been for the last several years interestingly centered on the uh, uh one of the busiest airports in the country the uh what is it called in chicago I don't know, the atlantic airport's bigger
4: <laughs>
6: yeah uh anyway so the the point is that uh mosley and barker within our circle of people if you had been at the uh let me see you said you weren't most of those conventions in the 70s. Were you there when they uh, when they showed their, their film? Uh, Gray had a, one of the first video cameras, so they did a film in Clarksburg, West Virginia, where Gray lived, and they look at the camera and they. S- they're already drunker than Lords. And, uh, they say, you know, there are substances which allow you to tune into these phenomena nons. And there's also an herbal substance and they smoke a joint <laughs> on camera. <laughs> this is at a yeah. time where probably in West Virginia it was something near a capital crime, And they say, this substance allows you to know the truth about the flying saucers. And I, everybody there was in hysterics about it. Um, I don't remember which convention it was, but it was it was sometime in the 1970s at some little town in Indiana um, uh, put on by a local guy who did a good job of it, but uh, it was just hilarious. And that says everything about, about those two guys. The straight-laced You know, nuts and bolts, people don't like them and don't forgive them their trespasses. And I knew them very well. And I don't think that they were primarily hoaxers. I think that they were, uh, they were serious researchers Mm -hmm. and they had a good sense of humor that Keel and company lacked, or he would have caught on because Mosley always planted, uh, 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 um, a, a hidden jewel in the uh, uh, in anything that he did of that sort. And when he made Hulk's phone, call, phone calls, I got a couple of them, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, during one of those sky watches I mentioned earlier, a voice came on the phone at my office, the UFO Cider office, and uh, uh, my father paid for it. I didn't have any money in those days. Nor now, but, uh, 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 during the skywatch, I picked up the phone for the 4 millionth time and a beeping sound. <laughs> <laughs> and then a voice with an echo says, you will this continue this project or <laughs> reach the result. <laughs> and by the time, By the by the time (laughs) yes and I I, did did I play the recording for you because about
5: uh, yeah you sent me uh, we had exchanged cassettes at one time and and I remember I remember hearing that that audio yeah
6: because about halfway through it I thought this is Gray I'm going to record it and I confronted Gray yeah that was us and I said are you sure and Mosley said see it doesn't matter. People mm. are going to believe, believe this stuff, and all through that film, whenever Richard Gere picked up the phone <laughs> and got, "This is Ingrid Cold," <laughs> I'm at the house. I thought, "Yeah, this is Indrid Barker <laughs> or Ingrid Mosley." <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because because John Keel, God bless him, he was very straight-laced. I mean he had a humor he had a good dry sense of humor and he certainly had a fair handle in the abstract on what was really going on with the phenomena but he was gullible and you don't act straight laced as gullible around Jim and Gray without repercussions. Ask Georgia Damsky if you can dig him up. <laughs> He's buried in Arlington with the other Patriots.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, perhaps, really is, that's the, but... perhaps that's the best way and might be the most effective way to interact with the phenomenon is keeping that trickster element. It uh, seems like that may actually produce the most results.
6: Yeah, that that's true. I, I think that uh, uh, you can overdo that, and the phenomenon will feedback nothing but nonsense. To you, But on the other hand, I think it is the most effective means of bringing, so to speak, down to Earth or up in the air, whichever you prefer, the people who just are still, you know, waiting for the landing from Alpha Centauri 3Z, <laughs> because that ain't going to happen because there's nothing coming from Alpha Centauri 3Z, let alone from other galaxies, which, if If you have the fifth grade astronomy sense of what distances are involved in traveling from another galaxy to this little mud ball that we live on, it's just not, uh, not the most likely solution and using Occam's razor which is sometimes wrong I mean you know the the most likely thing is not always the true thing ask anybody who's been to war they'll tell you about that Occam disappears on the battlefield strange things happen that are not Mm -hmm. the most likely at all so um I I mystified and I have said this many times so at the risk of repeating myself um I am mystified by the fact that in 1947 the first thoughts other than natural phenomena misunderstood which um, I don't know what is an unnatural phenomena except maybe Dracula you know um, or they are spaceships from another planet why they're seen on the earth or near the earth Uh, and out of that is that, is there a good inference that they come from other planets? And since, uh, many of the abduction cases, uh, involve being told they're going to other planets and some of them are mm, somewhat, somewhat stretched in distance and they only take two or three minutes. So I, I guess they carry a black hole around with them or, (laughs) whatever um that doesn't mean that they are it means that they're playing to the uh playing to the base to the whatever the superstition is when they got lifted up in the middle ages it was demons when they got or witches when they uh, got uh uh, lifted up in ancient times it was the chariot of the lord um it seems to me it's the same phenomena, but being seen through the lens of our limited senses, which yeah. after all are, you know, not really that, that great.
4: I mean, Absolutely. the things that we used
6: to... Until we launched... We. I didn't launch anything. Until the Hubble and related astronomical observatories in space, we knew so much less about what the universe was all about. No one had ever seen a planet circling a, uh, another star. No one had ever uh, considered uh, Clyde Tombow's, uh discovery of the planet Pluto to be anything other than the planet, not planetoid Pluto. I still think that's a it's a plot to destroy astrology, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: I think this,
5: I guess, I think Jim Mosley was uh, had commented that you know with the 1950s contactees it was Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and then as time progressed into the 60s and 70s, and the you know we began to hear about places like you know Sirius and Orion and further out there, and uh, because we had discovered that. Uh, Venus and Mars and Jupiter were not probable uh, candidates for being extraterrestrials visiting us. It had to be somewhere further out. made more sense. And, you know, the crop circle, uh, I remember hearing stories about crop circle hoaxers who later became believers because when they're out hoaxing their crop circles, they -hmm. suddenly saw beams, you know, balls of light and, uh, you know, I think hearing footsteps and there was nobody there. Strange things began to happen to them. While they were in the process of uh, okay. making circles, you know, which kind of goes along with what, what Al was saying about yeah. uh, that uh, reservoir in New Jersey and, and things. And and also, uh, I found interesting, Al, your description of um, those experiments back in 91, 92. I'd never been aware of that, that uh, I guess I've been living under a rock uh, about those uh Enochian system of ultra-terrestrial contact experiments that you did you did uh, about 30 of them with a group of maybe 20 people and, and the things that were going on uh, were quite unusual seeing beings in a room where there was, you know, the doors and windows had been secured and, and uh, I, I wondered if you'd maybe just talk a little about that Sure uh
6: let's see what can i say about it the only way i have a good recollection of that because i've done those workings in other places with less security was because that was when i was a lodge master in the uh uh, pretend order of ancient uh (laughs) incorporated
5: uh, we might want to a, end, uh, the part
6: out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty pretend. Uh Well, uh, mostly they pretend to themselves. But that be that as it may, I uh, I had uh, uh, essentially control of the lodge space because it's a very very hierarchical organization. So I don't, you know, it's not my not my cup of tea but i stuck with it for a long time because i was young and foolish but i was pretty good at at magical stuff and i had uh, just taken uh, an expensive high degree uh, in their order been made a lodge master so i figured well i might as well do an experiment enopian magic professes that it can take. Uh, the scryer into other dimensions not other planets other dimensions other airs other ethers is the term that is most commonly used but how about if i do it with my trusty lodge tyler who is a reliable person uh guard there were two doors guarding door number two and at door number one a new car no me and i did the elaborate induction that I was then proficient in. I doubt that I could do it now and uh, um, put the energy, the egregore into the person who was doing scrying. And we did that since there are 30 ethers. We were doing this on a weekly basis, one ether at a time. And the people who attended, first of all, we didn't have any, you know, any uh requirement for attendance other than you know to be quiet when it was appropriate to be quiet uh or you know not to burn the place down or whatever you know
3: just just
6: the basic civility of 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 life in atlanta georgia in the old fourth ward which is where our very expensive office which I inherited from the previous lodge master and got rid of as soon as I could, uh, but uh, it was a nice space in a in an office building, uh, in an historic uh, a, a part of Atlanta in a historic building. So the the level of control we had over the space was really really good for anything that was experimental. And since uh, the ancient silly order of of, of uh, beings of light, uh, frowned on or at least ignored the notion of self-monitoring for results. I figured I'm not breaking any rules here, I'm just monitoring to see if there are results beyond the You know, saying, oh, I see a bridge and the bridge is big. Uh, I mean, (laughs) what are you going to do with that? But what I, I did was, uh, first of all, nobody that participated other than the the Tyler and myself had ever experienced any of the, that kind of stuff before, let alone having you know read up on it. So what the scryer experienced, and sometimes there was a co-scryer. Uh, my oldest son was a co-scryer at one point, and he's a very skeptical person. So that was... And he was very impressed by it. And the other people were just uh, you know, interested in magic, but they hadn't yet cracked their first book on the subject. And yet we got effects that were similar to physical mediumship. Like one time I, I always, if I open the portal, I always close it at the end. It annoys me that people are you still there? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, everybody's still here
6: Okay, okay I heard a phone hang up so. <laughs> uh, Oh, that must have been the guys in St. Petersburg Yes Dovodanya. Yeah Yeah uh, <laughs> uh, So, where was I before the rude Russian spies interrupted me?
5: <laughs> physical effects Uh <laughs>
6: Yeah, yeah. I uh, so I always did a um, a closing, and uh, that was uh, a lesser ritual than the one I opened it with. Basically, a banishing, which is a standard, the most standard magical ritual there is, the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. The second I completed the ritual, the lights went out. The lights in the building went out. The lights for blocks around went out exactly on time and then there was the occasion i often mention this one where um every week i would go around the circle of people who were there and ask them if they'd had any unusual experiences or had co scribed spontaneously which happened some people had a uh had a scrying experience of their own along with the um this the, the person who was the designated scryer um who sat in the center of the room looking at what uh um John D called a showstone, which uh which we had it all formally tricked out. It was, you know, to the letter what the original Enochian workings were like in the whatever it was, fifteen hundred, sixteen hundreds. I don't know. I'm not a history buff. When I play one on television, um, some people think I have an unusual sense of humor, but we'll leave it at that um, so so I would go around just as a matter of interest. uh the Tyler was guarding one door, I was guarding the other, so there was nobody coming in or out, nobody passing notes from outside or anything, and uh people would. Uh, uh, mention experiences they'd had and then I would read Alistair Crowley's uh, The Vision and the Voice comp uh, the same ether that he had experienced at Busada in North Africa in uh, I don't remember what year but it was fairly early in his career and he was there with Victor Newberg who was sort of uh, his uh, accomplice and uh, acolyte and uh, anyway it corresponded so closely that i had to question whether any of them had read this material because whatever happened every week it got an a or an a plus in corresponding not word for word but the the nature of the vision for the let's say the fourth ether was exactly what you know what Crowley described he experienced in the fourth ether in in north africa so that was the validation that that i uh, expected and after the you know fifth sixth seventh time it happened but we went around the circle and most people had you know they, they said well i saw that i saw it. um A guy who happened to be uh, my employee at the art supply company that I was managing at the time, um, and I had invited him because he had an interest in the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, Uh, he said something to the effect, well, I didn't have any vision, but who was the guy in the black robe walking behind the circle of people? And I looked at, Uh, James, my Tyler, and he looked at me, and no one had been admitted to the room. And several other people said, Yeah, who was that guy? There wasn't any guy, it was a something.
3: Mm. And
6: something all in black, no face, but clearly going around the circle.
3: Mm. Yes,
6: whoa, (laughs) that is what. What a good Enochian working is like, and you know, it, it, it sort of makes me think. I, I've always been sort of dismissive of of uh, uh, physical mediumship, not mental mediumship, but physical mediumship, because there've been a lot of fakes. But we didn't have any possibility of a fake. I knew exactly how many people were in the room. My, my eyes were on them the entire time, and the two doors were locked and guarded. So. Whatever was walking around behind these people was not a people. It was a something.
2: Alan, could you do this for the Strange Realities Conference? Could you? uh, you
6: (laughs) I don't know if I I could do it anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking (laughs) of Well, if it were
6: in person. Yes, plug, plug away.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. If you like what
6: we said here. We will reveal the truth about the planet Uranus. Oh
2: no! <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a comma in there somewhere. As we're winding down, as we're winding down here, uh, both of you guys are going to be speaking at our strange, our online Strange Realities conference. Yeah, we're looking forward to having you. And uh, can you guys? Well, I guess Brent, we'll start with you. Like, what are you what are you going to be speaking about?
5: Well, um, I was going to be speaking about the the UFOs and the psychic matrix, uh, and uh, I was going to. I think I told you the title would be. Uh, um, oh, what did I tell you? The title would be. Anyway, I wrote it to you. I'll look it up. <laughs> but it would be about you know the the UFO, the paranormal elements of it,
2: and such. Okay, and Alan, what's uh, what, what would you be speaking about?
6: Well, um, as I told you privately, I would like to do an unrestricted Q and A session. Of course, when we were going to do this in person, I, which was you know pre-COVID plan, I thought we, you know, pass out uh at the very beginning of whoever was first. Um, uh, index cards and let people write their own questions and then I just answer whatever they you know whatever they ask. Uh, you might want to let people know that I'll answer truthfully anything that people ask in advance so you can get some questions and I guess you'll be the questioner and I'll do my best to answer anything about any of these phenomena and if they ask a question about who I'm voting for, I'll even answer that one.
2: <laughs> I'm probably going to put, uh, put Ren up there with you, too. I think that that would be cool to do.
6: Oh, Ren! I thought you said rad. I thought, yeah, this is going to be a rad conference. But, <laughs> yeah, Ren yeah, is the guy. He's super. So, yeah, that would be good. Uh, we disagree about one... Psychic. Other than that, we agree about everything. Everything, except maybe taste in women. I don't know. And I, I generally get along with guys that have different taste in women. It's, it's, it's it has just,
3: to do
6: with it's just, it's just my, thing. my it's... being like something of a cad, I think. Are you going to give the date? And you know, promo. Yeah. I, heaven knows, I've, I've shamelessly promoted my book and for that matter, so has Brent. People,
1: book don't look for normal sausage podcast and <laughs> sausage. presents
2: Strange realities 2020, September 25th, 26th, and 27th. Online, everywhere, not bound by time and space. There That's you right. That's Be right. That's right. Strangerealities.com. Just, with a, just mm. what a Sir Phil said. Uh, where, where can people find you? Find your book, Brent.
5: Oh, okay. My book, uh, uh, is on Amazon, John A. Keel, The Man, The Myths, and The Ongoing Mysteries. And, uh, of course, my, my website is apmagazine.info, Alternate Perceptions. And it comes out once a month, around the 1st. And, uh, and, of course, uh, we have years of uh, back issues as well that can be accessed. If uh, anybody's interested, we have interviews, like we're doing now. And uh, we have book reviews and various articles, columns, and features. So, um Check it out.
2: Cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both guys. We're going to just go ahead and close out the show because this has been a marathon. So um, thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Brent Rains. All
5: right. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
3: Yep.
5: What were you saying, Alan? I said I have a great
6: John Keel story, but maybe I'll save it for the conference. It's a great
2: story. Okay. Awesome. Yeah that 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 works. We definitely so, want to hear it.
5: <laughs> yeah, I know he visited you in 1968 there uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. So. 67. 67. 67.
6: November 67. That was the last meeting of the civilian saucer intelligence agency of Atlanta, and my father flew him down, but he rented a car and went back by way of West Virginia, and therein lies a story. But if you don't attend the conference, you will never know the story. It's
5: not yes, in sir. any book. Well, okay, everybody's awesome. got awesome. to be there.
2: <laughs> Want well, to thank everybody. Thank you, Brent. Thank Tim. Tim Beckley. Thank you, Alan, for for being here here with us. And uh, guys, uh, usual spiel. Conspiranormal, normal. Uh, Patreon. We still have it. All the um, all the. We have all the presentations from last year's up there. So come check that out. And we hope you guys enjoyed playing, replaying a couple weeks ago, the presentations from that as well. So that is only a dollar to join. So join us there. And, uh, Leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube channel, StrangerealitiesConference.com for tickets. Come join us next time. We will be we will be interviewing everybody else coming up in the next few weeks. So make sure you check that out. If you're kind of on the fence about coming, we're going to be talking about what they're going to be talking about and just uh, kind of shooting the breeze here on conspiracy.
3: becoming a patreon at www.patreon.com conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our youtube channel conspiranormal podcast